0: BLOB TALK RADIO
1: I'm terribly sorry about this I bring my life to the table, yeah. I bring my wife to the table, yeah. I bring health, wealth, knowledge and self to the table. Yeah. I bring no less TV to the table, yeah. conscious table, I bring no less radio to the table, conscious radio, conscious Wikipedia, I bring DVDs, books, no less media to the table, killing fables, I'm to the families of the royals, I bring King County to the table. I'm royalty, the, the velanated clock tables, so to culture, to the tables, I the superhead to the tables, I bring seven heavy sea balls, to the tables, so go table. water to the tables, red and blue, the big daddy cane, ready, willing, and able, to so walk you through my tables, full length tables, back from the future like Bishop and Cable, to introduce the freshmen to the X-Men, and all of their candy x No question, class is in session. Report to the chat room, Penn and Patterhand. You want to be there early and beat the caravan. People storm in the gate to get a plate. Them lines packed like the Happy Land. Either open up with the latest cuts, or them rat tools. they the bought by the latest trucks. From 9 to 11, we do it in the dark, like we used to do it in the park. For the most part, for the very second that the show starts, you witness it compose pose off think off, huh? The love received so far, has been so hard. There's a few dudes to run, but they would do if they sharp. They so soft, don't be thrown off, any need off. Avoid them at all costs, like raccoons or skunks. But back to the regular schedule program. The program is sponsored by Seven Heaven. What else in hell can you get an open line to heaven at 11-11? Emerge at the other end of those meditation portals and elevated walk tools, even some of tools. Any questions, comments or concerns, press one to everyone else. Thanks for attending another session. I'm pleased to teach, but it's an honor to learn. Certainly. Courtesy of KTL University. Oh, please don't be frightened. I'm terribly sorry about this.
0: You are the hell. Peace, peace, peace. See
2: you. very soon by my co-host, Brother Red. All right, family, any second now? brother should be checking in. Welcome back to another phenomenal episode of KTL Radio. The chat room is open, family. All right, greetings to the chat. Welcome to everyone who has joined us again tonight for this monumental episode. It is an honor to be welcoming back one of our uh esteemed alumni over here at KTL University, our brother Lennon Arnold, okay? And he will be doing part two of the 9-11 fear-based mind control program, all right? The brother came through a while ago and laid down part one. Very timely, very informative, very prophetic, you know what I'm saying? He spoke on some things that he said will be taking place and showing off those things have manifested. So we're bringing the brother back, and he's going to speak on what he does best, and that is decode, break down, and decipher these 9-11 fear-based trauma rituals that seem to have the entire globe enraptured, caught up, right, in their ritual. So just give us a second. Just need to send these tweets out, send these promos. Promotions out, family, do the same on your page. Feel free to share a picture. Do whatever you need to do, uh, whatever you deem necessary. Let the family know that you're here, welcome with the best, all right? Yes, indeed, we have a flyer that you can share on Instagram. We have the link that you can tweet. All right, share the status on Facebook. It's been posted as well. Let me go and get my co-host. Call it from three four seven six five zero. p Hey, hey. Peace to the family. Peace to the family. Welcome to Know the Less Radio. This is your co-host, Brother Brett Pill. Porting live and direct. What's happening? Was with you? Yeah, you gotta um, you gotta keep me on point. Let me go with my phone sound
0: like.
2: Cause I had got it. I got a scathing email the other day.
0: <laughs>
2: you know, somebody who listens to the program was like, "Yo, babe, man, I, I don't know if nobody ever told you, but I've been listening to this program for a minute, and red comes through clear. You know, but your shit be shot. You ah. get
0: a new phone,
2: nah." Truthfully though, I think you should I think maybe, you know, I should even give you and invest in a headset that you used to wear before. You know what I mean? I remember a few years ago you used to broadcast with a headset on and that 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 was your most, you know, uh clear and concise <laughs> broadcast. It had a you know, it was yeah. very strong, came through very, very uh uh, you know, forcefully. I think Radio Shack has them on sale. Um, you know, you might want to go check it out when you are haul 'em. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look take into that advice as well. I'm gonna look into it too. Yeah, I'm gonna look into it. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. Nonetheless, I mean, you know, if you can hear me, we good. Oh no, I hear you. You're broadcasting. All right. I am actually here in Harlem right now at Money Making Tuesday. Shout out to the brother from Tech. Shout out to Sidnetta, Sidnetta TV. Shout out to my brother Reggie. He's in the building as well. You know, the brother is dropping some information that he's been able to, uh, you know, dig up and put into his presentation, the statistics. You know, those numbers. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing these numbers and I'm looking at the numbers, you know, and, um, I'm an avid listener to, to reader of Claude Anderson, you know what I'm saying, and things of that nature. Uh, but the shit is, like, sobering. Every time that I hear these statistics and I, and I see these numbers, it's just, like, staggering. My mind is just spinning like, Phew. You know, you, you, you're like, damn, I had no idea, but you had to have had an idea. You just ain't know that it was that, that gloomy. And I don't know if that's fear based trauma. <laughs> no, I don't
0: know what happens cookies. is this.
2: I don't know if they are cooking them numbers or not, but god damn. god damn. You know, when one has
3: that new Samsung or that
2: LG T V, you know, that sixty S that good old Kmart special, that Walmart special, like you know, should be looking real colorful on cable and on T V, like, you know, C B J got a mansion with well, Versace dishes, like you know, and you know, a lot of us, our people, we live vicariously through others. You know what I'm saying? That's one of the, uh, you know, one of the um, uh, symptoms of poverty. You know what I'm saying? Even poverty consciousness, people live vicariously through other people. Like so, you know, when Michael Jordan signs a check, you you thought you thought you signed a check or you know when Diddy is, you know, on number one in on the Forbes list because, you know, you just was listening to the best of Diddy in your iPad. You feel like
0: yeah.
1: you oh, we made it. Yeah.
2: Oh, we, we made, made it. it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's that, nigga, that nigga, we made it, symptoms. And because we've been, you know, fed this smoking mirrors, you know what I mean, for a few decades through the media, you know, and now through the internet, you know what I'm saying. People are, uh, you know, and that, you know, because niggas can keep up with the Jordan, the, uh, with the with the retro collection. You know, they think that their life. They think we all, you know, they think because their closet is colorful that everything else is colorful. You know, because they got that, those Versace and mosquito jeans on sale. You know what I'm about, and they uh, they 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 attribute that to success. You know what I mean? They they attribute that to, you know. uh you know, that that's the ceiling, as we can all see, you know. And I, I really picked up on this recently, like, throughout the weeks, that I only go on Facebook now to look for the technology news and the empowerment news. I, I You know, the posts and everything that people are posting, that shit is real funny, it's entertaining, but I don't even have time for that anymore. Like, I'm only drawn to the success of the tech sector and other sectors because they're be they're guarding in real time. Like there's no denying that at this point, you know. And I'm not just talking about it from an aspect of materialism. I'm just talking about it in an aspect of people are inventing things. You you understand what I'm saying? People are being creative. I'm seeing genius at play. You know the Elon Musk of the world with the Tesla car. You know. Um, you know, the, the 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 smartphone wars that Apple and Google are, are taking place to, you know, how they're setting up the future five and ten years from now, like, their, their, their acquisitions of billions of dollars for companies on a daily basis, this is not just Google, shit is going on everywhere, they, but companies are being bought for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten billion dollars, you know, and, yeah, the consumer thing. base and it's being pitched to the consumer base, you know, of the Negro. You know what I mean? The 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 the, the trillion dollar gross domestic you know what I'm saying, the spending habits of, you know, uh quote unquote minorities. Yeah, huh? li- li- liquid money. Liquid money. No. From people who they deem no. useless eaters no. and refugees and, you know, that's that's the only game that's in town at this point. Like that's 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 the only thing that's popping. You know, victims, you know what I'm saying? Customers, you know, not hustlers. Don't even use that title anymore, family. 'Cause you're not hustling. You're hustling backwards if you ask me. I could care less once again. I'm taking shots at you, drug dealer, Mr Blow Money Fast. I could care less about what you throw up in, you know, the strip club tonight, I could care less about how many bottles you could pop or cop and the sparkles and all of that dumb shit. That means nothing. That is a poor investment. That's just showing me you have no, no sense whatsoever about how to put your, where to put your money and how to spend it. Like a money, a fool and his money will soon part, and you will soon part from your money, That that's how you choose to spend it. I'm going record saying that. That shit is totally, that's so 1990-ish. Like that's so played out at this point. But people that I've grown up with, that I love, I got care for. I got, I, I got, I got room in my heart for them. They still caught up in that spell. You know what I'm saying? People who be trying to lecture me, trying to tell me what to do. They still part of that world. They, they, they don't know what the hell is going on. You know, what I mean? they can't see. They, you know, they have no idea. You know, and yeah. The yeah. babies are suffering. It's if, if, if nothing else. You know, coming back to New York just reminded me that you got to make a decision and you got to stick with it. You know, this full moon also reminded me that, like, the only thing that you have anything to prove anything to in this world is yourself. You know, at the end of the day, when you leave these ceremonies or you leave building on the block or you leave this, this radio show, it's only you in the shadow. You know what I'm saying? And, and if you fool somebody, you're only fooling yourself. So you got to make a, a, a firm decision within yourself, and you got to be able to stick with that. you know, you got to always feel like your higher self, your older self, is watching over you or the spirit of your child is watching over you. You know what I'm saying? To, to keep you from buck dancing and, and backsliding and all these other types of things. Because so, you're you, you out there, so you see how that should have turned up, right? How, how, you see the, how, how the, uh, the traps are set. No, it's crazy. It's crazy. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, we were talking about half an hour ago about the fact that, you know, he's finally come to the realization that the people don't want nothing but entertainment. You know, they say that they want economics, they say that they want some sort of a solution-based dialogue, but when you have these things, this is when, you know, 10, 15, 20 people might show up. You know what I'm saying? So... People are into the fanfare, into idol worship, you know what I'm saying, and into the entertainment, you know, and I understand it. I understand the fact that we yeah. do, hold on, we live in a consumer-based entertainment society. We we are in Rome. You know, I had this conversation on the ground railroad last night on 125th. You know, until we come to that grip, Again, a lot of people are speaking about the effects of living in Rome, you know what I'm saying, and <laughs> not speaking about how to come up out of her, you know, or how did you get here, or what is the consequence of actually being here, you know, but they're just speaking about the the, the effects of being here. And they want to talk about that and get you caught up in that. And I've been, I, I admit, you know what I'm saying, I, I've allowed myself at one point or another to get caught into that, you know what I'm saying, but I you said one I, point, yeah, huh? Yeah. You said one point or another. You said what? I said you said one point or another. At one point or another, yeah, it might be yesterday, oh. and then I wake up from it today, and I might go back to it tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? Nah, because it's all good. It's I was it's And and what what else? Like who doesn't want to be entertained at the end of the day? Real talk. Let's keep
0: it
2: I I like doing that to As as aware of things that you may be, you know what I'm saying? Like it's it's a certain energy that's involved with these conversations and you might just want to get in there to drop a gem on them or something and be like, Look, I told you about these moons, goddammit, you know what I'm saying? I told you about the blood moon ritual. Everybody falls asleep and everybody's supposed to be taking a red pill and shit, but it's like everybody take a blue pill. They fall asleep right after what? one event. They not even know how to make the connection. I'm like, yo, TMZ, full moons. What else you got to know? When the fucking full moon hit, TMZ going to come with a situation that's going to disparage the black man. You don't get it by now. You know At what I'm don't. saying? Like, you don't get it, you don't get it. You don't see how these things are connected. You never seen a, a, a situation with a brother in the elevator. You didn't see that recently.
3: You didn't see the NBA uh, owner say something disparaging to a black you didn't see this story before this is new to you you don't know how to connect the dots for yourself so niggas are dangerous B that's, that's what's really going on it's like
2: to a degree where you know being entertained is one thing but when you when that's, when that's what nourishes you totally like that's the only thing that gets you excited and, and gets you talkative and gets you engaged and stuff like that and then the combination of it when the sports involved, oh, Lord. Jeez. You know, this is wrong, B, and all of his glory, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It may be falling. It may be burning. You know what I'm saying? And all of those things, they're wrong. You know, the it's, it's cyclical cycle of it, yeah, it might be at its height. It might be at its fault. It's still wrong. But still wrong. You know what I'm saying? When you get some bread, what you do? Running to get that Versace. Running to get that Armani. You know what I'm saying? Any Italian designer. You in Rome, when you get that bread, what you do? Got to jump in that Ferrari. Got to jump in that Lambo. Got to jump in that Bugatti. You in Rome. And you run to Rome. You desire to be in Rome. You ain't fully enough in it. You want to get all the way up in her. So we need to cut it out, and we need to deal with the reality of it from that place and start looking to whatever way in which, you know what I'm saying, you're going to back up out of it, you're going to lay your stake down in it and and make something of it, you know what I'm saying, like figure this shit out. But all this fantastical talk, like we're still in Africa and shit like that, and people want to deal with reality from there, that's not going to cut it, man. You're not in Africa. Cut it out. You are wrong. Do you want to be uh even wanna to go to Africa? Are you a capitalist or are you an anarchist at the end of the day? Bottom line. Let's talk like let's let's talk about that. Let's address that, you know what I'm saying, and, and we can figure it out. Everything else once you come to that conclusion. You know? And again, how's mm-hmm. it you, you know? You're getting pushed out of your neighborhood, how's your neighborhood. Are you an American? Is that your citizenship? Are you embracing this as your homeland? Are you willing to die for this country? You know what I'm saying? Like, what are you putting into this country in terms of living as 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 such? You know, like, what, what's your position? What are your politics? Where do you stand on this? Where do you stand on that? Where are you at? But are we just, you know, a complaining, nagging, fussing people? They can't see things for what they are, and then we call up in these situations, you know. Like if nothing mm-hmm. else, like I said, when I in New York, man, I'm saying like this conscious thing is is the most deflated balloon ever. It's flat. It ain't got no air in it. You Feel me? And it's like a waste of time. It's like a loop, you know. I'm I'm able to look at life in seven year cycle, to then on 125th, Seeing that video reminds me of that situation, two thousand and seven, when I had an incident with the NYPD, and just you know, every all of that perspective, the bending, like everything that was happening seven years ago, being a mirror it seven years later, and then I'm thinking about you know a uh, seven years past going into nine eleven or six years for that matter. You know what I'm saying? If I'm able mm-hmm. to now pre nine eleven and post nine eleven and divide it on some pie shit at the seven year cycle and see it for what it is and it's like, yo, this thing is crazy. You know how we end up right like, back at where we started. You know, yeah. body, like, you know and you know they, they they're not pressing the front line about the Mike Ferguson situation no more. It's not a conversational topic. You know it's not a football
0: game. Right. I ain't
2: about to challenge no more. They off that shit. I just be consistent. That's a no-go. That's a no-go. You know? No consistency, you know?
0: Once again, hold on.
2: Do you know they have 35... officers in New York City to NYPD? Do you know they have 35,000 NYPD officers in this city? 35,000? 35,000. So they brought our hmm. mission to the city council yesterday, right, about police procedures. They want him to retrain officers. They want him to retrain the entire department right, without openly acknowledging that they have been untrained to begin with, right, and also yeah. not addressing the fact that all of those officers are part of a society who have been, you know, um, you know uh, raised, and they've been raised in this society where the psychology is deeply embedded into them that, you know, the devaluation of, quote, unquote, black life is a permanent, you know, it's permanently staying within their brain. This is something that they were programmed with before, you know, the first seven years of their life. So this is what their subconscious, the 95% of their brain is running off. 5% of their brain is just trying to kick in the reprogramming that's being done, but 95% of their unconscious mind is running off that program that's been instilled in them for the first seven years of their life. You understand? Because they mm-hmm. live in a society that supports that. So there is really no deprogramming or reprogramming them. Nobody is talking about, you know what I'm saying, the astrological factors involved. You know, we just ignore that shit like it has no bearing whatsoever, right? So they bring him in there to have a conversation about policing and and, and, and you know, retraining these officers, you know what I'm saying? He's like, look, this is rat and chokehold illegal, first of all, you know, we're not going to use it, but it's not criminal, so it's not illegal, so can't nobody be prosecuted for it. Mm. Then he tells them, on top of that, I need a thousand new
0: offices.
2: Mm-hmm. If you Ryan want know, me to read... Hold on. on. This is Bratton, bro. This is, this is the This is the person that swept up, you know. This is hitting that. You just have to put it in context of who this man is. This is Bratton. You know what I'm talking about? He don't. He, he's not playing fair. Yes, indeed. You know, yes. nothing that he will say is going to surprise me. I would never go into a room and expect anything to come out of his mouth that will be uh, not arrogant and and pompous, because that's Bratton, bro. There's, nobody has ever took any one of them, you know, to task for the work that they've done. So he just came back galloping on his horse to continue his rampage. Henceforth,
3: you know, they they, they caught the first body with the brother in Staten Island. That's on Bratton's watch. This is, you know what I mean? Nobody never brought up the fact that
2: Bratton is back in office and that he's back on the board. And who he was in the Giuliani administration, Avenue Diallo, and all of that stuff. Come on, man. Like I said, the amnesia, the level of amnesia makes the Negro dangerous. dangerous you know what I'm saying? Staggering. Same nigga talking about the original man and cream of the crop and all of this craziness. I mean, and you can't, no, but, but they be trying to, nah. Yeah, uh, they be want to talk about stuff that yeah. happened 10,000,
0: 5,000. Like 5, people yeah. are building their whole
2: careers off of that. I was in years ago and shit like that. Like, I don't want to hear none of that, b. Like, what is your politics? You know what I'm saying? What is your politics? Can you see past your finger? Can you remember past years? Can you put things in perspective? Can you connect one thing to the next? You feel me? The last um, moon yeah. when they killed Mike Brown. This moon, they're giving you this whole aspect where, like I said, TMZ specializes in what? Character assassination. They are hitmen. They destroy the image of the, quote, unquote, black man and black woman on full moons. It's what they've been doing successfully since the blood moon. What do we have exactly a month away from yesterday? We have the next blood moon, October 8th. So... Like, I'm forced to do a lecture now just to explain the shit to people because I can't hint at it. I can't leave crumbs and leave. You know what I'm saying? But niggas will take yeah. a little bit of life that they think they know, and they'll try to stress that shit. You feel me? But you give them some information that's going to better their lives, and you got to tell them the whole spiel. They want to know the nuts and the bolts, the ins and the outs. Like, you can't figure this shit out for yourself by now? Moon ritual. Yeah. GMZ. Ritual. Simply NFL, NBA. Yeah, all that shit. Ritual. NFL, 22 teams on one side, 22 teams on the other, 44. Commissioner niggas paid $44 million. The court is separated by 40 yards on one side, 40 on the other. 44, nigga. NBA, uniform, uh, uh, Jerry West, 44. Come with the fuck, man. These niggas are slow, man. No wonder you're in the fucking position that you're in. And you can't even see the obvious shit that's hidden in plain sight. So, you know, the brother's going to come forth and speak on some things that are taking place. So... Definitely going to speak on... uh, what he is an expert on, and this brother is a foremost expert on exposing things that are hidden in plain sight. you know uh I had the honor of meeting the brother, I came into contact because uh, many YouTube exposes, some of which were extremely informative and entertaining as well, entertainment, I call it. so let me get into the description mm-hmm. of tonight we can delve directly into it. During the tonight, we welcome the program, Lenin Honor. In honor, of his groundbreaking, in honor of his groundbreaking tone, the 9-11 Fed-based mind control program, we will take a critical look at the based propaganda that has mushroomed and ballooned onto the scene in the last six weeks, leading up to the 13th anniversary of 9-11. Lennon honor writes, Each year, within the six weeks leading up to the anniversary of September 11, 2001, you will find a massive infusion of stories reported on by mass media that have a subliminal resonance for September 11, 2001. Some of these stories include terror threats, one, cyber threats, two, bomb threats, three, al-Qaeda, ISIS, four, Osama bin Laden slash supervillain archetype, five, plane problems, six, national security issues, seven, Pastor Terry Jones, eight, credible but unconfirmed threats, Nine, New York City slash Ground Zero. Ten, Homeland Security. The current terrorist threat propaganda is nothing more than psychological manipulation, which is designed to trigger the trauma of September 11, 2001. Leonard Honor's book, The 9-11 Fear-Based Mind Control Program, also provides solutions as to how the global population can resolve the trauma of September 11, 2001. In resolving the trauma, the global population will be empowered to step beyond the limiting restrictions of subconscious programming and embrace the power of conscious creation, perpetual fear. All right, family? And, of course, you can find the brother's books over at LeonardHonor.com. He is a writer, a musician, a video producer, a talk show host, a counselor, okay, and more important. From what I can tell on Facebook when I see this brother, the thing that stands out most is he's a wonderful husband and a dedicated father to his children, all right? So with no further ado, we present to you our brother, Leonard Arnaud. Give me one second. Get this board working real quick. All right, he's in the queue. Just give me one second. All right. Just give us one second. He's going to call right back in. All right. Yes, indeed, brother Red. Yes, sir. So we have some. Uh, yes, we have some powerful programs coming up. The next few programs are going to be. Definitely one do not want to miss, all right? Yes,
0: they are.
2: So, your Radio, you DTL the, the spirit of informing. you going in family. and out. Yes, information-based, family, solution-based, all right? Not entertainment. Not entertainment, all right? Let me go to the phone line real quick and see if this is nice guess. Call up from the 661 748 Give me a second, family. Can I make a quick announcement? Huh? Yes you can. can I'll make a quick announcement in the interim. All right. Uh family out here in Texas. Uh, specifically Houston, Texas, and all surrounding areas. Uh, Brother Redfield, we're going to be doing a presentation uh, this Saturday, this coming Saturday, in Houston, Texas, at the Kepler Bookstore. Everybody who is in the community in Houston, Texas, I'm sure you're familiar with Kepler Bookstore. It is going to be, um, I believe it's going to be uh, me and Brother Talik. Uh, we're going to be doing a presentation. Um, okay.
0: Can and we, um, check us out. we
2: will get back to that around the break. Is that cool? Right after yeah. the break? All yes, right. Open up the line. Is our caller calling in from 661-748? Brother Arnold, is this you? Peace.
0: Greetings,
3: brother. I don't know if this is me. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes, it is you. please, brother. Oh, good to good to connect here, brother. Thank you so much for red pill and blue pill. Appreciate it. We appreciate Thank you, brother. brother. Welcome back. Oh, my pleasure. How's my audio? Is it loud enough for you? Yes, yes. absolutely. You. Very, very clear. You're
2: coming through crystal clear. You're at the right tone, the right frequency. We welcome you back. We honor you. We honor your work. And I'm very excited to hear what you have to say about the things in which you spoke on on the previous show, which pretty much were at this point to be validated as
3: a prediction. But here we are <laughs> well, you know, I have a saying, and that saying is that time always tells the truth, and people really need to think about that. Time does tell the truth if you're patient enough, and if you look at things consciously enough, you will see that time will tell the truth. And the last time we were on, we talked about this topic, a topic that uh, I addressed of the 911 Clear-Based Mind Control Program, and everything I talked about then came to pass. And I would dare say that everything I talk about here today will come to pass. Um, it is quite fascinating uh, that right now in the media there are a lot of stories circulating that has really caused a lot of people to become concerned. And it's on different levels, but one of the things that I've learned is that this is the season of concern. In other words, what I'm saying is that as we get closer to September 11th of every single year since September 11th, 2001, people tend to be antsy. In other words, people get concerned, people begin to become emotional about things, that Maybe if these things took place earlier on in the year, they wouldn't have had the same type of an emotional response. And there's a reason why, and it's perfectly predictable. That's precisely why I can tell people in advance. I can tell you, told you last year, tell you this year. I can tell you what types of stories are going to come in the news that are directly related to September 11, 2001, and they always occur within the six-week period leading up to September 11 uh, of, of the anniversary of September 11, 2001, and this particular media cycle contributes to the overall emotional instability that we find on the planet right about now, and it takes place every single year. And this is what I call the 911 Fear-Based Mind Control Program. Where would you like to start, brothers? You let me know.
2: Well, I mean, I would say we can begin where we left off, and, you know, I like to uh Harking back to that six-week period, which pretty much adds up to, that's about 42, 44 days. You know what I'm saying? And I've been tracking the events that have been taking place. And I see that they pretty much were powered and fueled also around the time of mid-April when that blood moon came around and he started playing with the uh, prophecy of blood moons and Israel started harnessing a certain level of power. That they use or utilize, should I say, to um. You know, do the things that we're seeing in terms of fear-based programs in Palestine and things of that nature. But I want you to, uh, I want you to start where you feel most comfortable at.
3: Okay, okay. Well, let me let me start with this. For those of y'all who are not familiar with me or familiar with my work, uh, my name is Lennon Honor, and I am a husband, committed husband, and father. My wife and I we've been together for 13 years now. We have five beautiful children. And I want to um, reiterate something that you said earlier, and that is that my primary focus and my primary job is to be the best man that I can be and to be the best husband that I can be and most definitely be the best father that I can be. I am by no means there yet, but I'm working towards it every single day. Why is this relevant? This is relevant because it's very difficult to function as the best man that you can be, the best husband that you can be, and the best father that you can be if you're always in a state of fear. Fear is the great compromiser of intellectual process. In point of fact, it's the great compromiser of manhood and masculinity. It is the the great compromiser of fatherhood and husbandhood. We fear so many things, in particular amongst African-American folk, black folk, whatever you want to call it. We do have these internal fears, especially males, about our true power and our true worth and our true value. And so the notion of us standing up as upright men, uh, committing to our wives, being uh, uh, adequate fathers to our children, it becomes daunting, the idea of it, because many of us believe that somehow we don't have the power to be these things. In other words, we have succumbed to certain levels of programmed fear, and it's not that anybody doesn't have the power to do that or to become that or to be great, irrespective of how he was raised, irrespective of whether or not his father was in the home. It's just that the issue of fear compromises our ability to see ourselves as powerful beings. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Just as Males can be compromised by fear. The global population can also be compromised by fear. And I want to tell you all something that I have learned in my studies over many, many years, especially as I have analyzed media and media artifacts. And that is to say that the greatest means of control is not actualized through military, might, physical physical subjugation or brute force. The greatest means of control is actualized through the manipulation of the psychological condition of the human species. And therefore, if you can manipulate human psychology by triggering trauma in people, in triggering the trauma in people, people become fearful. Here we go. This is a cycle. And as people become fearful, they begin to externalize power. They don't believe that they have the power to be great. I'm talking to you brothers who are listening here. They don't, believe that they, have, they, don't, they don't believe that they have the power to be the man that they know that they, they can be or that they should be or that their, mother, or, or that their children need them to be or uh, that their children's mother needs them to be. It is all about fear, and it is psychological. It is not physical. It is not that something physical is stopping us. It is that the issue of fear, and this fear is being broadcast globally to everyone. Within the six weeks leading up to September 11th, what I found in my studies remarkable is that within the six weeks leading up to September 11th, we began to see particular stories in the news. These stories trigger the trauma of September 11, 2001. So I can ask anyone who's listening here, do you remember where you were at on September 11, 2001? Do you remember how you felt on that day? Were you traumatized? Did you experience a level of psychological confusion about what was taking place? Did you become fearful? Did you begin to externalize power? If you can answer yes to any of those questions, you have been thoroughly introduced to what I call the 911 Fear-Based Mind Control Program. This particular program is triggered within the six weeks leading up to September 11th of every single year. And I talked about this the last time, and it plays itself out, every, it plays itself out perfectly. The idea, and what I want to you know, inform everyone who's listening here, is that once you know the program, because it's just a fear-based mind control program, once you know the program, there's no need to fear it. And then you can step into your power as a man. You can step into your power as a woman. You can step into your power as a creative being. This cannot be done so long as we succumb to perpetual fear. And you all will be amazed at how much fear-mongering is in the news right now. Let me read something from page 86 in my book, and I actually have the timeline that illustrates the types of stories that come out in the news that are perfectly predictable within the six weeks leading up to September 11, the anniversary. Within the six weeks leading up to the anniversary of September 11, 2001, we find a steady buildup of September 11, 2001 trigger stories in the news. Get this. Topics include, number one, terror threats. Uh Uh-oh. Sound familiar? (laughs) (laughs) Terror threats. Number two, bomb threats. Did y'all know that an article came out recently? I kid you not. I'm not making this stuff up. The Boston Bombers. Supposedly, their sister made a bomb threat, and this comes out in the news within the six weeks leading up to September 11th. It actually came out just a couple of days ago, perfectly predictable. It's right here inside the book. See, these stories trigger the trauma of September 11th, 2001. We were wow. all traumatized. Uh-huh. Each and every one of us, we were traumatized on that date, and we did not process that trauma consciously. Instead, that trauma was submerged within the subconscious mind. It was interpreted on a subconscious level and therefore submerged there, and it's been there ever since, every single one of us. And there's trigger stories that can trigger that trauma, and then we begin to feel like we felt on September 11th. And that's why right now people are anticipating some terror threat. Nothing ever happens because this, this happens every single year. The, the stories come in the news, but there is nothing physical or tangible, and it's not designed to be physical or tangible. The idea is to stimulate people's psychology. It's called psychological warfare, so stories about terror threats trigger the trauma, stories about bomb threats trigger the trauma. Number three, stories about Al-Qaeda. Here we go. Al-Qaeda comes back on the news, and now what is it, ISIS or Al-Qaeda affidavits, right. the book in the in the cause. Perfectly predictable right here inside the book. Number four, stories about Osama bin Laden. Osama bin Laden comes back inside of the news. Perfectly predictable. He's supposed to be dead. Why is he coming back in the news? Why are they bringing him back up again? You see, there's no legitimate reason to bring him back unless you're trying to trigger the trauma of September 11, 2001. Number five, stories about plane <laughs> problems, plane crashes. Have you all noticed so many stories about plane crashes and plane problems, people fighting on it's planes the about leg space? plane crashes I've ever
2: heard in my life. It's so many it's plane crashes, they don't even make the news anymore. They just brush them
3: over. It's just like, oh, another plane crash today. Yes. But, see, right now, because plane problems triggered the trauma on September 11th, these stories are now reported on. Why is it that Mass Media will report on a story about people fighting on a plane about leg space? It's unreasonable, but if you're within the six weeks leading up to September 11th, it makes sense because plane problems trigger the trauma of September 11th, 2001. In point of fact, plane problems, in terms of what it triggers, on September 11th, 2001, that was the greatest of all time in terms of plane problems. That's why stories are always brought back into the news in mass. I should also mention that it's not that these stories don't occur at other times during the year. What I'm saying is that there's a heavy concentration that begins within the six weeks leading up to September 11th, and then it gets to a frenzy all the way up until September 11th, and then it dies out. And during this time, the, the trauma of September 11th is being triggered. We are two days away, and it will continue to build, and then shortly after September 11th, they'll fade out. You only hear these stories until the next cycle begins. So stories about plane problems, also stories about national security. So, and then there's also trigger stories, uh, trigger characters that come on to the, in the news, like Pastor Terry Jones, who want to burn Korans. Now the, this trigger character is, uh, what do they call this guy, Jihadi Joe or Jihadi John, whatever his name is. He's a trigger character. He triggers the trauma of September 11th. Number eight, and this is the the one that always happens, credible but unconfirmed terror threats. Now, for those of you all who are in New York City, what I would like to do, see, this is the thing that when you approach mass media consciously, and I'm talking about when you you look at and you analyze it consciously, you see the pattern emerging. I want people to remember on the 10-year anniversary of September 11, what do you remember about that was special about September 11 and the the 10-year anniversary of September 11? I want to read to you all because I have it inside the book. I want to read to you all an article. This happens every single year. Credible but unconfirmed terror threats, and does anything ever happen? No. It's not designed to happen. These are just stories that are fabricated. Literally, they are created out of the thin air to to trigger the trauma of September 11, 2001. Let me read this to you all. Um, This is on page 93 in my book. So I'm going to read this. Credible but unconfirmed threats within the six weeks leading up to the anniversary of September 11, 2001, credible but unconfirmed threats are reported on in the news. Presumably, these threats are of a terrorist nature, ISIS, Mm -hmm. and can range from potential bioterrorism to cyberterrorism, and anything in between. Here's an example from September 8, 2011. What's today, by the way? Today is September 9th. Okay, so let's go back to September 8, 2011. Terror threat called credible for 9-11 anniversary. Here we go. By Jonathan Gentz, Pete Williams, and Robert Windrum, NBC News, September 8, 2011. So for those all in New York City, if you remember on the 10-year anniversary, we're talking about September 11, 2011, they had New York City on lockdown. Did anything happen? No. But it was, it was all psychological. It's called psychological warfare. It's called a psyops. To manipulate people's psychology and to trigger the trauma of September 11. when you trigger the trauma, what happens? People become fearful again, and they begin to externalize power again, and that's how you control people. It's not physical. It's psychological. Let me read this to you, Washington. A specific credible threat has emerged surrounding the 10th anniversary of September 11, 2001, attacks, U.S. officials. But they emphasized that there was a great deal of uncertainty about the threat and said that they, uh, that they were acknowledging it out of an abundance of caution. That's neurolinguistic programming, out of an abundance of caution. We must never forget. We must remain vigilant. So this is all the programming that we received. NBC News said police in New York City and Washington had been alerted. How many of y'all remember this? New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg said late Thursday 9-11 commemorations would go on as planned under heightened police presence already boosted for the weekend. Recent intelligence obtained within the past day and originating from the tribal areas of Pakistan, here we go, advised the United States of a plan to set off car and truck bombs in Washington or in or New York around the time of the anniversary of uh, September 11th, officials told NBC News. This, said, this goes on every single year. There's always these potential terrorists. No, nothing ever happens. The information indicated that three people would travel to the U.S. from Pakistan to carry out an attack, they said. However, the information included very little else in the way of specifics in terms of timing or targeting. It goes on to say that law enforcement officials were being alerted to be on the lookout for three men of Middle Eastern descent and potentially traveling in a van, they said. Okay, that's very specific. <laughs> that's ridiculous, right? you look out for three Middle Eastern men, okay, potentially driving in a van, while the information had some specificity and the source has been credible in the past, it's uncorroborated, officials warned. How can something be credible but uncorroborated? However, given the documents found when Osama bin Laden was killed indicated his desire for an attack on the 9-11 anniversary and further given concerns about possible retaliation for bin Laden, that the officials decided to pass this information along to local law enforcement agencies. And then he goes on to say, last thing here, not, now is not the time not to tell them about it, one official said Thursday night. Tell, tell them about what? You don't have any evidence that Osama bin Laden was assassinated. And yet for people in New York City on September 11, and moving up to September 11, 2011, New York City was on lockdown. Unlike any other year before, and that's because on the 10-year anniversary of any traumatizing event, mass media pumps the programming to an extreme level. On the 5-year anniversary, the 10-year anniversary, the 25-year the, uh, anniversary, the 50-year anniversary, the 75-year anniversary, and the 100-year anniversary, that's when mass media goes all out. My point being is that people in New York City and, indeed, around the world, we are given these terror threats within the six weeks, leading up to September 11, every single year since September 11, 2001, and nothing has ever happened. Why? Because there. It's not designed to happen. These are just stories that are fabricated. This year, it's ISIS nothing will happen it's not designed to happen it's designed to do what to trigger the trauma of September 11th and that's precisely why so many people right now are emotional and ultra emotional because their trauma unbeknownst to them most people are oblivious to the fact that they have they were traumatized by September 11, and they have not healed that subconsciously embedded trauma for various reasons and therefore when stories come out in the news that trigger the trauma people become very emotional it's like the child that was abused when they were a child and therefore when they come into an adult something triggers that trauma the, the remembrance of that trauma and and they may react in a particular way unbeknownst to them. It's not intelligent. It's not rational. It's not logical, but they don't realize that the reason why they're reacting that way is because their trauma was triggered. What better way to control people than to trigger their trauma within the six weeks leading up to September 11th of every single year? And it happens every single year. We talked about it last year on this show. We're talking about it this year on this show, and it plays itself out perfectly. It is perfectly predictable. It is nothing more than the script, and therefore there is no need to be fearful of all of the fear-mongering that you find in the mainstream and the alternative news. Where do we go from here? Is anyone here? Yes, sir, we're
2: right here. We're right, here. We're right here. We're asking ourselves the same questions,
3: brother. <laughs> well I do have I do have an outline. I also want to encourage that if anyone who's listening, if you have any and questions, I mean, send, the, yeah. Yeah, send the questions. I, I, in, I, I do want answer. to corroborate
2: the fact that I am in New York City and um there is a heightened level of security, you know, apparently for no reason, you know what I'm saying? They always demonstrate a show of force around this time of year. They beef up, uh, you know, their forces and, you know, it's just police everywhere. This is definitely the culmination of a police state on many different levels. Um, And people are always reminded based on that police presence that it's either one or two things, you know, they either reminded of nine eleven or they're reminded of they have been stoking flames of as of re- as of lately, which is you know their war on uh, minorities, quote unquote. You know their constant presence in, uh in the hood. You know, so that's traumatic within itself because that equates to them. You know, killing the youth or suppressing their their, their rebelliousness. So I was walking by. um, I was in Harlem the other day, and a situation popped up where, you know, the police rolled up on a brother, and they were little children. They had to be like 10, 11, or 12, or what have you. And they jumped out on, on uh, on the brother who was about 18 or 19 and threw him up against the wall and the 13, you know, the the younger the younger youth, they were like, oh, let me get up out of here, you know what I mean? We, we, we don't want to be involved with none of that, you know what I'm saying? They just were totally not engaged at all in terms of they didn't want to pull their phones out, they didn't want to look to see what happened, they didn't want to intercede, they wanted to get up out of there because now they equate that to an environment in which they feel they can be harmed you know what I'm saying? Now they have a fear in their heart of the quote unquote, you know, police or the authorities. You know, before it did not use you know, it wasn't like that. My generation raised me didn't grow up like that. You know what I'm saying? So I'm definitely seeing the effects of that level of, of the fear based program.
3: You know what I would like to do, I would like to um, talk a little bit more about the 911 based mind control program and give people an outline of what exactly it is. Uh, This way um, people can put a context and then ultimately they will come into a level of conscious awareness as to the programming that takes place within the six weeks leading up to September 11th. I think that if we have time later on, we should get into some of the topics that you were just talking about here. Um, this is the one thing, like, uh, people have asked me, well, Lenny, what do you feel about certain stories that are in the news? It's just like right now, my main focus is on September 11th, because that has been the thrust of my work over the last four years. But if you would like to talk about some of these other topics or, you know, uh, questions, any questions that people may have about that, and, and I'll be more than uh, welcome to respond. So I should say this, that I have had my own experiences with the po-po, or with the police, and uh Uh, These experiences have uh, proven to me that it is very important that we teach our sons how to interact in certain situations so that the likelihood of them leaving those situations alive is heightened. And I know it's not fair that we should even have to think that way, but the system is designed with this level of um, unfairness. And this is something I think that that would be important for us to talk about uh, if we have time later on during the show. I have some very um, distinct ideas about this. I have three sons, and uh, given the types of experiences that I have had uh, with the police, for no good reason, I'm one of the most honorable people that you all will ever meet, one of the nice, gentlest people that you will ever meet. I am not uh, by any means a violent person, never been in, in trouble with the law, never had any kind of issues like that whatsoever. I've always been a very respectful person, including respectful towards the police, but because I look a certain way it has put me in situations and scenarios that that I was undeserving of simply because I lived a particular way. And therefore, it's unfair, I understand that, but this also means that we have to instruct our boys on how how to strategize if they're put in a position that is unfair, how to strategize so they can come out of that alive. Okay, so if we have time, sure. I would definitely like to share some of my thoughts because I have three boys myself, and there's a certain thing that I have to teach them about that if they didn't look the way that they looked, they would, I wouldn't even have to teach them these types of lessons. It's not fair, but it is necessary if I want my boys to grow into men and, and, uh, and live full lives. Okay. Let, let me uh, – I want to talk a little about uh, – about the 9 one Fear-Based Mind Control Program and what it, what it is and how it was installed. Okay, yes. so if we look at the 9 one Fear-Based Mind Control Program, we can just analyze the header there. We're talking about September 11, 2001. The 911 Fear-Based, we're talking about the fear that is associated with the event. It, it is based upon fear. And then mind control, we're talking about a psychological aspect of the influence that fear has that is related to September 11 and how this psychological aspect is basically being used as a tool of psychological warfare by mass media within the six weeks leading up to September 11, 2000, uh, of any given year. There are three stages to the 911 fear-based mind control program. The first stage is the installation. So to any program, you have to first install it. Just think of it like as as a computer. You have to install the program first. So the installation of the program is the first thing. The next thing is the triggering. The triggering is kind of like if we're looking at it using the analogy of a computer, the triggering is just like fine-tuning the program. Every once in a while you run a virus scan. Uh, Every once in a while uh, you defrag your hard drive, that type of thing. But what it does is it maintains the initial program, okay? And then there is the reinstallation of the program. And this, is, this occurs uh, on September 11th of every single year since September 11, 2001. And what this does, it re- it's like a refreshing. It's like, okay, uh, we've ran this program for the whole year. Now we're going to reinstall it all over again so that all of the fear that's associated with the event, that program, the 911 Fear-Based Mind Control Program, will be fresh in the subconscious mind of the global population. So people who are on computers, you should understand what I'm saying here. So the, 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 the installation of the 911 Fear-Based Mind Control Program took place on September 11, 2001. And what happened was, for the first time in human history, the global population experienced a gruesomely traumatizing event live and in real time. This is the first time in human history that something like that has ever happened. And that's why this whole experience of September 11, 2001 and the psychological impact of the event itself has been underestimated because people have not looked into, in the first place, the psychological implications, but also the fact that this was the first time in human history we're in a globalized trauma was broadcast to the global population in real time. And because it was broadcast in real time, people uh, associated the event personal experience, even though they weren't there physically, but because it was on their television screen, because they were listening to it on the radio, because in some cases it was on their internet, because of satellite television, cable, so forth and so on. For the first time in human history, a gruesomely horrifying event was broadcast to the global uh, population in real time live, and as a consequence People experience a high level of trauma globally and did not and were not able to process that trauma consciously. There's three main reasons why. And this can be applied to any trauma that we may have experienced in our lives. That when we are unable to process a trauma, there are th- usually three main reasons. The, the, the first reason has to do with sensory overload. Okay? So sensory overload occurs when we are inundated with external stimuli. That's to say that if we're given too much information at once, it becomes very difficult to process any given element of information consciously. In the absence of being able to process a vast array of information because our senses are overloaded, we begin to experience a level of psychological trauma. This is precisely what took place on September 11, 2001. See, what happens is is that whenever your conscious awareness is unable to define an undefined element or to solve a problem, you begin to experience a level of psychological trauma. So you can think of it. any experience that you have in your life, you have a a problem and that you have not been able to solve, you start to get stressed out. You can't process the trauma. And what happens is that in that moment when you experience a level of psychological trauma, because you can't define an undefined element, in this case, September 11, or you can't solve a problem, in this case, September 11, the subconscious mind kicks in as a psychological defense mechanism and takes that that, uh, trauma and submerges it within the subconscious mind. This happens for us all the time. The idea is that the primary objective of the conscious mind is to solve problems and define undefined elements. The, the main objective of the subconscious mind is to protect the conscious mind from experiencing levels of psychological trauma. So anytime you can't define an undefined element or solve, solve a problem, you experience psychological trauma, your subconscious mind kicks in. You can even look at it in your own childhood, different traumatizing events that you could not process consciously, were submerged within the subconscious mind. In some cases, we, we kind of forget about them until someone brings it up and triggers, and then we remember that that took place. That's because it's submerged within the subconscious mind. That's why there are people who, for instance, uh, had issues with the police when they were younger, and the trauma was so great that they couldn't process, they couldn't define the undefined element or to solve the problem. The trauma was so great that the subconscious mind kicked in and submerged within the subconscious mind, and then when they're driving in the car, here we go. A lot of brothers know exactly what I'm talking about. you driving in your car, minding your own business, ain't breaking no law. Popo uh, rolling behind you ain't even worrying about you, but you start getting antsy. Why? There's no legitimate reason why, because it's not like they're looking for you at that time or that they're about to even pull you over. But you brothers know what I'm talking about. For whatever reason, we feel as if, but what's, what's really taking place? There's a trauma that's being triggered that we forgot about in a sense. And then sometimes we can remember in those moments we remember that trauma. Oh, I remember when the Pope did this or when they did this to my homie or when this happened or when this happened. Okay, no difference in September 11. when we're unable to solve a problem or define an undefined element. that We experience psychological confusion, psychological trauma. The subconscious mind kicks in, takes that trauma, submerges it with the subconscious mind. Just think about this. If you have a problem and you can only focus in on that problem for 24 hours a day, and that's the only thing that you can think about for 24 hours a day, you would literally go insane. In point of fact, there are people who literally go insane because their traumas or their subconscious traumas are, are stuck in their conscious awareness. And as a consequence, they're always thinking about this problem. And that causes people to literally go insane. So... As a, as a wonderful arrangement of human psychology, the subconscious mind takes the trauma, submerges it within the subconscious mind, and therefore you can move along in your life consciously without thinking about the trauma, the un- undefined element or the unresolved problem. Well, this, the same thing applies to September 11. Because we experienced sensory overload on that day, we experienced psychological trauma, and therefore the, the event itself was submerged within the subconscious mind, and it's been there ever since. Now, that's the first main reason why we were unable to process the events of September 11 in real time on that day. In other words, we were unable to define the undefined element of what was taking place on September 11, 2001. And we were were unable to define undefined elements. One of the other reasons why happens to do with uh, what I call conflicting information. Just think about this. If your conscious mind, the main objective is to define undefined elements and to solve problems, and you're giving conflicting information, how are you going to define undefined elements to solve a problem? It cannot be done. And we received so much conflicting information on September 11th that it became impossible for us to process the trauma of the event consciously. Let me give you all some examples of what I mean by conflicting information uh, out of my book uh, on September 11th. The conflicting information. I'm going to turn here to page 60, let's see, 63, no, 62. I want to read this to you all here. Conflicting information is a second major contributor to the conscious mind's inability to find an element or to solve a problem. When the conscious mind receives conflicting information, it is labeled with the task of quickly resolving such conflicts. If such conflicts are not quickly resolved, then the conscious mind will experience conscious confusion. Conscious confusion is a form of psychological trauma. If this state of conscious confusion lingers, then the subconscious mind will activate to protect the conscious mind from experiencing confusion-based psychological trauma brought forth by the undefined elements and unresolved problems. In such a case, a person's subconscious mind becomes the primary resolver of the undefined element or unresolved problem. As it relates to the official story of September 11, 2001, the global population received contradictory information in the form of conflicting reports from both the mainstream news and the alternative news. These conflicting reports brought forth extreme levels of confusion within the conscious mind of the global population. A few of these conflicting reports include, some of you all will remember these, most of you will not, but these types of stories, they do not line up with the official version of September 11, 2001, and therefore, we experience psychological confusion because of the conflicting information. Here's, here's a, just a short list. Reports of explosions in the Twin Towers prior to their collapse. You all know and realize that there were reports of explosions in the Twin Towers prior to their collapse. Well, this doesn't coincide with the official version, so therefore, it's a conflicting information. Reports of a car bomb exploding outside of the State Department. How many all remember that? How do you get that wrong, anyway, as a news reporter? We have reports of a car bomb exploding outside the State Department. Well, that's conflicting information because in the official version, there's nothing that is said about car bombs exploding outside the State Department. How do you get that wrong? Reports of a fifth plane crash uh, at or near Camp David. There was a report of a fifth plane crashing outside of the, uh, excuse me, out, uh, crashing at or near Camp David. See, so that's conflicting information. Reports of missiles hitting the Twin Towers. Reports of missiles hitting the Pentagon. Reports of various makes and models of hijacked planes. Reports of no visible plane debris at the Sanksville, Pennsylvania crash site. See, this is all conflicting information. Reports that the collapse of Building 7 was, was the result of fires. Really? That's conflicting information. And as a consequence, when we receive conflicting information, we cannot define the undefined element and solve the problem. Now, the third and most important contributor to our conscious mind's inability to solve the problem of September 11th in real time or to define the undefined elements of September 11, 2001 in real time was the intellectually stifling emotion of fear. People underestimate the power that fear has in terms of compromising the intellectual processes. Fear, fear literally can shut a person's mental condition down to where they cannot even consider solving a problem. Fear can cause a woman to think that somehow all men are dogs. Uh-oh, here we go. Fear can cause a male to think that all women are bitches and hoes. Uh-oh, did I say it? Fear can cause a male to bounce from his relationship or bounce from his children's life because he doesn't feel that he has the power. That's all fear. He doesn't feel that he has the power to be the man that he can be. See, that's all fear. People, people do misinterpret and, 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 and underestimate the power that fear has on compromising people's ability to be powerful beings on planet Earth, men and women. So on September eleventh, in addition to the conflicting information, in addition to the sensory overload that we experienced on that day, everything being compressed within an eight hour period, we also have the emotional the, the intellectually stifling emotion of fear, which shuts down our intellectual faculties because now we go into fight or flight. That's subconscious programming. That's not intellectualism and it's not based upon conscious awareness. We are we were set into a condition wherein fear dominated us emotionally and as a consequence, a person's intellectual faculties are compromised, okay, then how are they going to define the undefined element or to solve the problem of September 11, 2001? It cannot be done. Those are the three main reasons. And so as a consequence, in the absence of intellectual process and, and in the presence of conscious confusion, we begin to experience psychological uh, confusion. Psychological, um, Trauma and what takes place as a natural defense mechanism, the subconscious mind kicks in and takes that trauma and submerges it within the subconscious mind. And ladies and gentlemen, the trauma of September 11, 2001 was submerged within the global population. On September 11, 2001, it was installed within the subconscious mind, and it's been there ever since. That's the first stage of the 911 fear based mind control program. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Mass Media understanding these just these very basic elements of human psychology. And mass media understanding the influence that stories, trigger stories, can have on the psychological condition of the global population, what does mass media do? Mass media triggers this trauma, which is a second stage of the nine eleven based mind control program. It triggers this trauma within the six weeks leading up to September 11th of every single year. And that's when you get these stories about potential terror threats and bomb threats in Al-Qaeda slash ISIS, al Bab, or Al-Qaeda affiliates. And that's when Osama bin Laden somehow is brought back on the scene. He's supposed to be dead. Why is he coming? And that's why you get all these plane problems, because these all have a subliminal association with September 11, and then now as we enter into these final few days, that's why you go into the news and this is all you see. There's a reason why, because in triggering the trauma, what takes place? Understand this, ladies and gentlemen. Though your conscious mind is aware of past, present, and future, and you can distinguish between all three, your subconscious mind does not distinguish between past, present, and future. It perceives that everything that is taking place is taking place right now. And so, therefore, if you're being triggered, if your trauma of September 11th is being triggered within the six-week season of September 11th, your subconscious mind thinks that September 11th is taking place all over again. And now do you see why so many people are antsy right now and anticipating a terror attack and all emotional about things? It's, probably, it's called psychological warfare. It's psychological warfare. So what I'm getting at is that these types of stories that come inside the news within the six weeks leading up to September 11th function to trigger the subconscious trauma. And in triggering the trauma, people do what? On a subconscious level, they begin to think that September 11th is taking place all over again, and therefore the triggering is re-traumatizing them. And out of this trauma, people become fearful all over again. And out of this fear, people begin to externalize power all over again. And out of the externalization of power, people are are placed in a subservient position wherein on a psychological level they are therefore controlled. What better way to maintain dominance and control of over, over a group of people, and this is globally, how, what better way to, to manage the psychology of the global population than to simply trigger the trauma of the global population at specific times each year? And right now is that time within the six weeks leading up to September 11th. Of, to, uh, uh, of any uh, uh, every single year since September 11, 2001 the final stage of the 9 fear-based mind control program because there are three stages you have the installation which took place on September 11, 2001 or for those of us who were not alive then whenever you were indoctrinated into the 9 fear-based paradigm that was your installation Okay, maybe your computer wasn't built until, you, you know, 2003. Okay, that's okay. The, the program is always reissued, and once a program is reissued, that's your installation. But for me and for most of us who are listening here, we were alive on September 11, 2001, and therefore that's when that initial program was installed, like a computer program, into the subconscious mind. And then there's a the triggering of the trauma of September 11, 2001. And that takes place within the six weeks leading up to September 11th of every single year since September 11th, 2001. And then the final stage, ladies and gentlemen, takes place on September 11th, on the anniversary. And that is when people get together and participate in this morbid death ritual celebration. And that's precisely what it is. When people, they dress in all black, they mourn, they cry, they have these little ceremonies, in some cases these huge ceremonies. And then on the news, they have all these retrospectives. And what this does, it just triggers the trauma even further, because now people have to relive death and destruction all over again. They show the plane crashing into the building. They show people jumping off of the building. They show the buildings collapsing, firefighters running down the street, burnt flesh. They show all of the trauma, the horror the, the horror of it all, the blood, the guts, all of it, and they represent it to people as a reinstallation, and then people participate. To top it all off, people participate in this morbid death ritual and then bring their children along to have their children be traumatized too. What kind of insanity is that? That's some bullshit, if you ask me. But in the absence of intellectual process and, in, and within the state of fear and perpetual fear and the triggering of the trauma, submerged trauma that has been unresolved for 13 years now, parents will bring their children along and expose their children to this bullshit. And what takes place for a lot of these children, this is their insulation process. This is what the 9 one fear-based mind control program is. And there are people who are arguing and saying, well, no, we're honoring the dead. You're not honoring the dead by traumatizing yourself and, re- and traumatizing your children. There's nothing honorable about that. Don't nobody's ancestors want you to get up there and, and, and participate in this morbid death ritual like that? It's not even reasonable or logical. But why do we do it? I want to explain something. Why do people participate in this morbid death ritual? Because for, they are led to participate because of a six-week six cycle that takes place every single year. And see, in the absence of the resolution of their trauma, they will be compelled to relive the trauma if the trauma is represented to them. This is an aspect of of, uh, human psychology in terms of how the subconscious mind works. To make this even more clear, and this will be the last point, it becomes very clear to me. Once you follow mainstream media and alternative media, too, within a six-week period leading up to September 11th, that people are being triggered and reconditioned to participate in this morbid death ritual that takes place on September 11th. And part of the reason why is because the trauma itself, the initial trauma that was installed for most of us on September 11, 2001, is unresolved, and the subconscious mind seeks to make associations. The subconscious mind seeks to find another way by making associations uh, to resolve the trauma. Let me give you an example Sometimes what happens in relationships, and a lot of y'all, y'all, y'all will understand what I'm saying because we, uh, many of us, we've had this experience. Sometimes in relationships, we may have a bad relationship with someone, and, then we, and we suffer in that relationship. And as we suffer in that relationship, we recognize that, you know what, I do deserve something better, and I, I should be experiencing something better. And then when we get out of that relationship, we jump into another one, and we experience the same thing all over again. Different name, same experience. Who will make who would make that, that type of a choice consciously? No one would. If you come into a level of consciousness where you say, look, I'm not dealing with this bullshit anymore. I'm not going to have him or her treating me like this. I'm not going to have him or her sleeping, uh, you know, sleeping uh, and, and out, out running in the streets sleeping with other people. I'm not going to have him or her abusing me physically, sexually, emotionally anymore. We would make that choice consciously because it makes sense for us to recognize that, that we're not going to be putting up with the bullshit anymore. But for many of, this, of us, because we don't take the time to heal from that trauma of being in that relationship, what do we do? We jump into another one. And we think we're making a conscious choice, but we're really making a subconscious choice. And what is happening is our subconscious mind is trying to resolve that trauma from that relationship, and so it chooses another relationship that's similar so that hopefully this time you will learn the lesson. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. Here we go. And so we wonder why we get into these relationships and we're unhappy all over again and the same things happen all over again. We'll ask the question, did I make a conscious choice to be with him or to be with her? In most cases, we don't. We make subconscious choices. And really, if the subconscious choices is based upon subconsciously embedded trauma from all the levels of abuse that we had in past relationships, we're going to put ourselves in the same bullshit that we were in before. You see how this works? And see, the subconscious mind is always seeking to right the wrongs. And so it will choose experiences that are the same or similar to past experiences wherein you were wronged. Because hopefully this time around, you will do right, or he will do right, or she will do right. Well, the same thing applies on September 11. The unresolved trauma, we make the choice, many of us, we make the choice to participate in this morbid death ritual all over again, going through the bullshit all over again. And as we go to the bullshit, what happens? The program is reinstalled into our subconscious mind. I want people to think about this, and this will definitely be the last point. Under normal circumstances, if we were given an opportunity to heal the trauma of September 11th, in other words, if, we didn't, if our traumas weren't triggered, just like in, under normal circumstances, if we really took the time to heal from past relationships, we wouldn't go for the okie-dokie all over again because we would take the time to heal from the past relationships. We would learn the lessons that we can use to empower ourselves, and then we can make a wise, conscious choice for the next person that we're going to deal with. Same thing applies to September 11th. They see, the problem is is that with September 11th, we have this program that takes place, and the program goes like this. Instead of giving people time to heal the trauma of September 11th, 2001, and Mass Media does this, we are going to issue stories that trigger the trauma. Here we go. And when this, in the six weeks leading up to September 11th, we're going to trigger the trauma, trigger the trauma, trigger the trauma. And then when we get to September 11th, people are going to participate in this morbid death ritual, and that reinstalls the program. And then the next year, we're going to do the same thing. And then the next year, we're going to do the same thing. And the next year, we're going to do the same thing. And so what, what we find, and this is what I mean, the, the, the fascinating aspect of this is what, what I'm really alluding to, ladies and gentlemen, is the truth that each year when we are triggered and re-traumatized, re what takes place with the initial trauma of September 11, 2001 that was unresolved and submerged within the subconscious mind, what happens? It is now submerged one more layer deep within your subconscious mind. And every single time it is submerged another layer deep, it becomes more difficult to resolve that trauma. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. So if you think about it, do the math. This means that on September 11th, coming up here in two days, this particular trauma will therefore be submerged 13 levels deep within the subconscious mind. Boom, y'all better think about it. Same thing applies to your male-female relationships. Some of y'all are running based upon subconscious programming of 20 years of abuse, and there's 20 levels of trauma. In some cases, you've been in four relationships this year or four relationships over the last five years. So over the last five years, you have 20 uh, uh, levels deep of a particular trauma that is associated with being in abusive relationships. Same thing applies September 11. Part of my job and part of my commitment to people, is to, call people is, is to assist people in realizing that the trauma exists. The greatest traumas are the ones that we don't realize exist. But not just realize that the traumas exist, but then begin the healing process consciously. See, when you begin a the process consciously of your trauma, in this case September 11, all of these stories that come inside the news that cause people to trigger, that triggers the trauma September 11 leading up to September 11 of every single year, they no longer impact you. You think all of this bullshit about ISIS is, is, is making me wig out? It ain't happening, Captain. I, and, how, and think about this. What, what kind of man is going to function to his greatest capacity as a man if he's all fearful of potential terrorists that never take place? That's like, that's like believing in a boogeyman that lives in a closet, ladies and gentlemen. You can't be the best man that you can be under that type of mental condition. So it's important. I'm talking to you brothers in particular. It's important that you get out of this paradigm of fear, and, of fear and, and particularly the paradigm of fear associated, associated with September 11th. Because when you step out of that paradigm, none of this stuff affects you anymore, and then you can see your true power to shape reality in the way that you want to shape reality, not based upon perpetual fear. Most of us, were living in perpetual fear. Women, too, we're living in perpetual fear. The idea is to come into a level of conscious awareness as it relates to September 11th, and the reason why September 11th is so important is because this was the first time in human history where a, a traumatizing event was broadcast to the global population, so you have a global population. It is in the condition of mind control. I call it the 911 care-based mind control program. And therefore, as a species, we have some serious work to do. And one of the things that we have to do is come into a level of conscious awareness after the program. I outline the program in my book. I have it in my documentaries. I have it on my videos on YouTube. Go through all that information. Get the information. Get that knowledge. And, therefore, in the next cycle when it comes around, because it will come around next year within the six weeks leading up to September 11, 2015, you can mark my words on that. Write it down, brothers and sisters. You can mark my words. When it comes back around, you won't fall victim to the okey-doke, and you can walk upright as a man without fear. You can walk upright as a woman without fear, and that is wherein you can claim your power. Heal thyself so that you can know thyself, and when you know thyself, you will know thy power. It's really that simple, so you've got to engage in the healing process, and part of my job is to assist people in healing this most important trauma. It has global implications and has influenced the quality of our lives for the last 13 years. Heal this trauma, this trauma that I call the 911 Fear-Based Mind Control Program. Blow it up.
0: Man.
3: Wow. Any, any questions, brother? we got to have at least one or two questions. Come on now. <laughs>
2: Anyone um, in the chat? I mean, you're laying it out. You know what I'm saying? I can see it as clear as day. <laughs> well, I know like, you can you
3: know, like <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm
2: I'm front seat. You got the 80 foot screen set up, you know, the screen up, and I'm just like, whoa. I'm seeing all yeah. of the headlines. I'm just seeing how everything fits into this thesis, and it
3: mm-hmm. it's very clear. I, I, right, real quick. Let me go to CNN, and this ain't scripted. Let me just head on over there real quick. Let let's see what some of these Please headlines. Do. Of yeah. course, they write it on the news. Okay, we know that. But let's look. Let's let fair you know, though. I, it sure is. It sure is. And look, that's hey, that's that's program. That's, you know, I mean, think about know. how
2: traumatic. Not only is that traumatic to you know, people that are watching it, to think about the trauma that's induced on a person that has to relive that incident a million times over for the rest of their life. Think about, you know, like she said in, in her own post, you know, the embarrassment. And nobody, and she's like, you're doing this for ratings. TMZ, again, you know, the culprit, TMZ, 7-Eleven. They always seem to be the culprit in these situations. You know, so, yeah, let's see what CNN's talking about.
3: Okay, so the breaking news is NFL Rice could play again. Okay, so this is Ray Rice and and the domestic uh, uh, abuse issue. And I should say, ladies and gentlemen, that I grew up in an abusive household, and that was one of my main traumas as a young boy uh, seeing and and hearing my mother being abused by my father. Okay, so we've all been through shit. As a matter of fact, my father was a crackhead. That's one thing a lot of people, they'd be like, you you know, you know, you you don't understand. You don't know what it's like. You know, But it's because of how I present myself and how I tend to speak. But don't let me you know, tell someone to shut their ass up because I can do that too. It's just that that's not what I want to teach my sons, <laughs> okay? I don't want to mm-hmm. teach my son that way. I want something better for them. And, and the reason why I was that way was because of the trauma. Bitch, shut your ass up. Okay, that's just trauma. That's stuff that I heard my father say to my mother and utilizing my mother. I shared my father's name. So whenever my father would beat my mother, she would scream out to him and ask for him to stop and scream for mercy. But in my mind, subconsciously, what did I do? I interpret her screaming for mercy as if she was screaming to me for mercy. And so I began to internalize that I was the abuser of my own mother. So I've been Uh. through the shit. I understand, ladies and gentlemen. Father was a crackhead. And I can give you a story. I'm writing a book right now, too, uh, Visions of Manhood, and it's an autobiographical account of my life journey to becoming the man that I am. And shit ain't been easy either. I've had to I have to go through a whole lot to get to where I'm at. I still got a long way to go. But the point that I'm getting at is that I recognize right. abuse. I know what abuse is about. But when it's turned into a fiasco and it becomes entertainment for people, at the expense of other people, that's a problem. That's a, that's a serious problem. So. You know, this will say that TN don't give a damn about uh, women who are being abused because, in point of fact, women are being abused all the time. They don't give a shit about that. TM, TMZ most surely short, don't give a damn about women because most of the shit they post is misogynistic and sexist anyway. Is that not the true? They, they're full of bullshit. That's the truth. And I'm telling you all like a man who really does love, and I'm not saying this to talk, you know, just talk that talk. I live this, ladies and gentlemen. I live this. I love my wife. I love women. I got, I got two beautiful daughters, and they're not going to be raised, you know, w- with this bullshit that a lot of people are raised, and, and I'm not going to have it. So I understand people want to act like they care about women, but it's, it's only timely, right? It's only when they choose to care about women. No, look, I care about women all the damn time. Okay, so now TMZ trying to go on this campaign, and, and all these other news networks jumping on the bandwagon like they give a damn about women in the first place. y'all don't give a shit. That's the truth. So that's the breaking news right now because anytime you can stimulate – here's the three issues that stimulate the most type of controversy amongst the human species right now. Number one is race. Number two is religion. And number three is sexual orientation. Those three things, anytime those types of stories can be used to divide and conquer, Mm -hmm. they're front line. Front Mm -hmm. line is simple. But beyond the breaking news, and I wish we had more time to get into all that, brother, okay? Maybe you all might have to have me back, and I can speak on it, but – other, uh, the other topics, and because we're close to September 11th, you, you will see on CNN – you can go to any other place, too, right? and you'll see these types of stories. U.S. Mu- uh, must-bomb ISIS leaders hawks say okay? – so this is about ISIS, terror threat, and there have been propaganda pieces in the news where they're saying things like, we need to go to DEFCON 5 or DEFCON whichever 1, whichever one is the highest one, because there's a potential ISIS terror threat here in the United States, they're, and they're going to be using these stolen planes. Okay, that's a plane problem. Here we go. Okay? Obama, I have authority to strike ISIS. Show me ISIS in the first place and show me these big battles. Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: No, as as he said, I'm going to destroy and degrade ISIS. Now, that sounds very subliminal to me. You're going to degrade ISIS? Degrade. First Hmm. of all, yeah, degrade Hmm. ISIS. So I'm Hmm. hearing this, and I'm like, wow. So this perpetual, continuous war, and the woman continues. You come out with this footage of this woman getting knocked out on a full moon, you know, you're degrading Isis, you know what I'm saying, by our archetypical aspect of the melanated woman with these particular, uh, the, you know, these repetitious series of reports. You know, the blood moon featured uh, Mimi Foss broke that story broke by TMZ with her getting in the porno and everything. All of this has been done to degrade Isis using moon energy. So these rituals that I'm seeing, these perpetual rituals, it didn't just start yesterday, but they've been continued ever since nine eleven. okay? Shakinaw dealing with Shakina, you know, all of these things. Katrina, all of this, all of this is to perpetuate the destruction and the degradation of the feminine principle on this planet. That's what I see. Mm-hmm. You know, I I'm also want to get to the undercurrent of is this nine eleven ritual about? We know that it's continued by... Them, um, you know, reigniting fear based trauma, but what is at the root of the ritual? What are they hoping to gain, you know, at the root of the ritual? Why the ritual to begin with? What is it perpetuating at the base subconscious level of the mind?
3: Well, it has to do with the externalization of the
2: Is the fear just for domestication uh, uh, purposes?
3: Well, the fear is the means through which you cause people to externalize power. So what I outline inside my lectures is that trauma brings forth fear. Fear brings forth the externalization of power, and the externalization of power brings forth control. So in other words, if you keep people in a state of fear, they're going to externalize power. And once they externalize power, you can manipulate them indefinitely. And it's not a physical manipulation either. It's all psychological. And so, therefore, if you want to control a person, understand what their trauma is, trigger their trauma, and when you trigger their trauma, they're going to have a pre-programmed response because it's all subconscious. They're not going to even think about it. They're going to have a pre-programmed response, and therefore you know how they're going to react in advance. And based upon you knowing how a person, it's like chess. If you know how a dude on the other side of the table is going, what his next move is, well, you can strategize accordingly, and you can trigger his trauma to make him make a particular move, and you'll know exactly what he's going to do in advance. So it's all come, it all mm-hmm. comes down to externalization of power. I want people to understand something, too, that the externalization of power ain't got shit to do with someone out there trying to control people. That's not it. It's about us recognizing that we are either going to internalize our power or we're going to externalize because that's the real choice that we have on the planet. You either externalize or you internalize, and no one is forcing anyone to externalize. See, it is a choice that we have. And as men in particular, we've got to be clear about this. Do not externalize your power to anyone. You have to be able to stand up forthright and and as an honorable man and recognize that this is my power, and I can't give it away to anyone. So when we get the fear programming, right, or the degradation programming of ISIS, my goodness, or the degradation programming of another black male who is beating on a black woman, Uh uh-oh, here we go. When we get the programming and everyone jumps on board with that programming and it makes us feel less than now because we associate Ray Rice with ourselves on some level. It's the truth. The women who see Ray Rice's wife, they associate themselves with her on some level, because we tend to do this as African-American folk, because we have had a, a certain types of experiences. We tend to project our identity onto those that we see on the television screen or to those who we see in the news headlines. And so if you can always bring right. up this, this perpetual degradation of African, African-American people or quote-unquote black people, then what it does is it further degrades those who identify with these African-American people or black people. Yep. But it all comes back to externalization of power. And I'm very clear about this. I'm not even into the concept of race, but I understand race programming. Okay, I don't, We don't even teach our children the concept of race. What we teach our children is that you're a powerful being and you can make this world what you want it to be and don't be limited by any concept, including the concept of race, because it doesn't necessarily have to That's apply right? to you. You do the best that you can do as a human being. You don't have to choose a mate because they look like you. You choose a mate because this person is going to be a good husband and a good father to your children, daughters. You don't choose a woman because she looks like you or because she looks like your mama or because she looks like your daddy on some level. No, you choose a mate because she's going to be a good wife for for you and a good uh, uh, mother to your children. This is very clear to me. I understand the cause of the race, and I understand the programming that we receive in media, and that programming is designed to cause the de- people to degrade themselves by the externalization of one's identity onto these particular types of characters that come onto the news. And then, on top of, to top it all off, is, is we're led to believe that somehow people really give a damn about domestic. But don't people give a damn? didn't nobody give a damn. My mama was being, being beaten down. And some of you women who are listening here, don't, don't, when you're being beaten down, don't nobody give no damn. And this is the truth. But you put it on the news, okay, now it's a big issue, and everybody wants a piece of the action. You see what I'm saying? So this too is the externalization of power. When When we begin to believe that somehow it only matters when someone else says that it matters, that's the externalization of power. And that's why we have to internalize power. If it matters to you, it should matter to you 24 hours a day, not just when media reports on it. But 24 hours, and to be quite honest with you, domestic violence, just relationships in general, positive male-female relationships matter to me and my wife. Our work is about that. It's about inspiring people to recognize that they, too, can experience a positive relationship. But you can't do that if you are stuck in the paradigm of fear, and you can't do that if you have these subconscious traumas that have gone unresolved, in particular subconscious traumas dealing with emotional distress related to Past relationships were in; they did not turn out, or were in you were abused, or were in there was infidelity, so forth and so on. So the healing process is key. Is key. Just like you must heal your past traumas as it relates to Malcolm relationship, you also must heal the trauma related to September 11, 2001. And in my book, I give three steps for, that anyone can take to heal that subconsciously embedded trauma. And once you heal the trauma, the, the impact that all of these types of media stories, ISIS, so forth and so on, it does not have the same type of effect on you. You're liberated from the programming.
2: Yes, indeed. I, I definitely was going to ask you about that. You know, what are the solutions that one can implement to deprogram themselves you yes. know, from this fear um, based trauma because uh like you know, it, it, it could be triggered from something that someone doesn't even make the conscious connection to. There could be a subconscious connection to it that one might overlook and it's still being triggered. You know what I'm saying? So how can somebody snap out of that? How can they put a guard up?
3: Yes, yes, and this is, there's a three-step process, and you can apply this, anyone who's listening here, you can apply this to September 11, 2001, but you can also apply this to any life experience that you have, have had wherein you were traumatized on some way, in, in some way, okay? But the number one, and, and this is step number one that I outlined inside the book, this is on page 104, as it relates to September 11, purify your media stream. What does that mean, to purify your information stream. I want to read this real quickly here. We live in an age where negativity is broadcast all over the world through seamless, endless media streams, blogs, blogs, magazines, videos, movies, music, newspaper, television, radio, the Internet, etc. At any given time, you can find information that is rife with death, destruction, conflict, and war. As an example, you can go to any news outlet and observe what is being reported on. In my article, Purifying Your Media Stream, dated November 2, 2011, I illustrate the nature and quality of the stories that are commonly reported on in the mainstream and the alternative news. Here's some of those stories. CNN, Pakistan truckers face deadly drive, filmmaker tortured in Syria, stocks end stellar month with a tumble, snowstorms leave 1.7 million without power. Here's Reuters. Kane calls sex harassment claims baseless, new cyber attack targets chemical firms. Does more people mean more poverty? BBC, UN concern over Libyan weapons. Arizona smashes Mexico drug ring. Grow your own meat. What? Al Jazeera. U.S. condemns UNESCO over Palestine. Vote hundreds killed in Sudan classes. U.S. soldier cuts Afghan fingers as trophies. ABC. Russian spies caught on tape. O.J. Simpson's untold secrets. Girl hung in haunted house accidents. Domino uh, Domino's guy torched Papa John's guy. FDA, beware black licorice overdose.
2: Uh, Fox
3: News. <laughs> And here's, and here's the last one. <laughs> no, I'm not making this up, ladies and gentlemen. Fox, <sighs> somebody's suicide attack made in U.S. Killer in Connecticut, home invasion, abused sister. Nurses, hospital to us to help in abortions. Two giraffes, other animals die in New Jersey zoo fire. <laughs> you got to purify All that history. happened today? No, no, not today. This was on a day. This was the day that I, for this particular chapter in my book. I looked up the headlines, and that was on, this day, on that day.
2: <laughs> on that day Right
3: Damn That's crazy <laughs> and so you That's a busy-ass go- day <laughs> You can go Any day No matter what day it is What year it is You can go on To your media outlet It can be the newspaper It can be the internet It can even be the radio And you will hear stories Like these being reported on It's a, it's a hub of toxicity Death, destruction, war And gore so if you can imagine, how are you, going to heal, how are you going to heal the subconscious trauma of September 11, 2001, when you're given giving all these stories about death, destruction, war, and gore, because the subconscious mind is going to have to process all these stories of death, destruction, war, and gore. And, and, and then it will begin to process those particular stories, and then that initial trauma of September 11, 2001 is put on the back burner. You see how this works? Mm-hmm. As an example, um, you can watch a movie before you go to bed. and If the, if the, if the movie is abusive, if the movie... Is violent if the movie is is destructive, and you try to go to bed, you will have a very difficult time going to sleep right away. And then you start to think about the types of things that were in that movie. You start you start to uh, to remember a lot of the stuff that you saw inside the movie. And what's taking place is in that moment. Yes, the programming starts to come out, and what's, what's really taking place is your mind is trying to settle itself so that it can actually go to sleep because of all of the trauma that it just witnessed on the television. And, again, the subconscious mind doesn't distinguish between what, they, what it sees on the television screen and reality. That's the other thing. The subconscious mind does not distinguish between fantasy and reality, ladies and gentlemen. It does not distinguish. Now, your conscious mind will say that's real and that's not real, but the subconscious mind sees everything as if it is real. Okay, so that's why all All the time you you watch a bad movie, that horrible movie, you try to go to bed, you have a very difficult time. Because see, what happens is that when you go to bed, that's a conscious time. Your dreams are based upon subconscious programming, ladies and gentlemen. That's not conscious awareness. Your conscious awareness has to shut down, and then your subconscious mind, that's where the dreams come from. That's where all your memories are stored within your subconscious mind. And see, during that time, it's difficult for your subconscious mind to go into that mode when you, when you have this newly fresh trauma in your conscious awareness because you just watched this movie before you try to go to bed. That's mm-hmm. why before you go to bed, it. you take right. this time. That's right. You have to take this time to kind of get yourself settled down, and then now you can start to relax enough to get into that mode to go to sleep, and then now your subconscious mind kicks in and does what it should normally do. So people think about that. If every single day you're given death, destruction, war, and gore and you don't purify your immediate stream, the initial trauma of September 11th get pushed further along in, in the back burner. As another example, in male-female relationships, purify your information stream. Do not feel in toxic relationships anymore. It is a choice. If you keep putting yourself in horrible relationships where there's different levels of abuse, where you're unhappy, where your children are unhappy in some cases, and you keep doing it over and over again, you haven't purified your relationship stream. Uh-oh, here we go. The same thing applies. You can apply this to any aspect of your life. Purify your information stream. And it takes work. It takes diligence. But I will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that it, it, it works. It helps in alleviating and resolving subconsciously embedded trauma regardless of what that trauma is. And in particular, September 11. you have to, to purify your information stream so that you're not being given information that further traumatizes you and pushes that initial trauma further and further along and deeper into the subconscious mind. Step number two. There's three steps. Step number two is Conscious Reflection on September 11, 2001. Let me read this. Most people's reaction to the topic of September 11, 2001 is trauma-based. This truth is evident in the expression of ultra-emotionalism whenever the topic of September 11, 2001 is brought to the forefront. One of the major obstructions to the healing of the trauma of September 11, 2001 happens to be the ultra-emotionalism expressed whenever the topic of September 11, 2001 is raised. This ultra-emotionalism is directly related to the unresolved trauma that has been embedded within the global population's subconscious mind. Whether one believes in the official story of September 11, 2001 or any of the alternative stories, it is a no consequence in relationship to the unresolved trauma of September 11, 2001. This is to say that whether one believes in the official story of September 11, 2001 or any of the alternative stories of September 11, 2001, the trauma is still the same. If an individual wishes to heal from the trauma of September 11, 2001, it will be necessary for the individual to engage in an intellectual process. This intellectual process can come in the form of conscious reflection on what transpired, what was seen, what was heard, what was felt, and indeed what was lost on September 11, 2001. This conscious reflection can be a personal one or a collective one wherein an individual or individuals consciously reflect on September 11, 2001 without allowing themselves to be subject to the fear, Anger and pain that the topic of September 11, 2001 tends to incite. Again, this conscious reflection must be based upon intellectual process as opposed to ultra emotionalism. So, in other words, part of the, the hitting of the initial trauma is to engage that initial trauma consciously. And this can be applied to any other area of your life. Let's use the, the issue of male-female relationships because most people struggle in male-female relationships. Unnecessary, completely unnecessary. And most of the time, it's because of subconscious submerged trauma. And a lack of proper guidance as to how a man should function within a male-female relationship and how a woman should function within the context of a positive male-female relationship. But you can use the example of male-female relationships and put it within the scope of conscious reflection. When that relationship doesn't work out, you should understand why it didn't work out. And to truly understand why it didn't work out, you have to consciously reflect on that relationship, and you should write down your whole history. It's one thing I do in personal consultations with people, with men and women. Why is it that I keep getting into the same kinds of relationship and I'm unhappy? Why is it that every single time I get into a relationship, it's the same thing, I'm unhappy, there's different levels of abuse, so forth and so on? Well, have you, have you looked at your relationship history and looked at the patterns that begin to emerge? Because the subconscious programming at a certain point if you're having the same experience over and over again, it becomes a program. Do you know what the program is? No? Okay, well, let's figure that out. So you go through the process of, of consciously, conscious reflection on your relationship history, and as you consciously reflect on the relationship, you see the pattern that begins to emerge. You look at the relationship. Why did I get into this relationship? What were the, what were the, the general theme of the relationship? Was it positive? Was it negative? And then you go to the next one. You analyze that one, conscious reflection. What were the themes in that relationship? You know, what were the types of things? What type of man was he? What type of woman was he? Why did I choose him? You ask these critical questions. Then you go to the next one. And what you do is as you go through these, these, these relationships, and some of it, the list may be 20 relationships, you'll see that the same general theme presents itself throughout all of them, or the same general themes. In other words, there's a pattern that begins to emerge. When you look at that pattern, then you begin to analyze where does that pattern come from. That's the conscious reflection. Once you identify where that pattern came from, then you go through the process of eliminating that pattern. And then now you can begin to consciously choose, as opposed to allowing your subconscious programming to make you think that you're choosing consciously, but in point of fact, you're choosing based upon subconscious programming. This can only happen if you have a level of conscious reflection on your relationship history. And is the primary thing that people need to do in male-female relationships. Instead of jumping into the next one, take some time off, brother. Take some time off, sister. It ain't going to hurt nobody. It ain't going to hurt nobody to take some time off. In point of fact, it's going to be to your benefit because now you can constantly reflect on that relationship and identify why did it fail, why was I in that relationship. Most importantly, what was the lesson that I, that, that I needed to learn from that relationship. When, when these types of questions bring to the forefront the healing of that of the trauma. Once you begin to identify why, what the lesson was and then you use the, power, the, the lesson to empower yourself, that's when your suffering ends. And there you, therefore, you come to the next relationship clear now not based upon all of the subconscious trauma that's been embedded within your subconscious mind, now you're coming clear as a whole man, as a healed man, as a whole woman, as a healed woman, and now you can present the great, a better version of yourself to the next person in the next relationship, and that will improve upon the likelihood of you experiencing a positive relationship. Just as we can use uh, uh, relationships as an example, the importance of conscious reflection, the same thing applies September 11, 2001. And then the last thing and the most important thing, and this is what I try to uh, instill in people in all of my work. On September 11, ultimately what took place was the externalization of power. Again, trauma brings forth fear. Fear brings forth the the externalization of power. And through the externalization of power, people are controlled, but it's all psychological. In essence, people control themselves. Their mental condition uh, controls them. Poverty consciousness controls them. The belief that there are no good men out there controls them. The belief that there are no good women out there controls them. The belief that all men are dogs controls them. The belief that all women are bitches and hoes controls them. That's all psychological. It's not a physical reality, and it's not even a reality. But people believe in these illusions. Why? Because they've externalized power to these illusions. Illusions. Anytime you believe in an illusion, you are externalizing your power. Write it down. Anytime you believe in something that is not true, you are externalizing your power. Therefore, what I try to teach people in any area of their life is that it is important to internalize your power. In particular, it is, for men, it is important to internalize your power. So on September 11th, so much of our power was externalized. And I have a whole chapter that outlines to, you know, to various degrees what we begin to externalize power to, who we begin to externalize power to, and why we begin to externalize that power out of this – fear-based mind control program. So therefore, it becomes necessary for people to begin to externalize their power, and in order to internalize your power, you must purify the information stream. In order to internalize your power, you must have conscious reflection on that particular trauma, in this case, September 11, 2001. And the, the idea of internalizing your power, let me just read this to you all real quickly here. The trauma of September 11, 2001 ultimately expressed itself within the global population in the form of the externalization of power. In order for the complete healing of the trauma of September 11, 2001 to take place, the expression of this healing must ultimately materialize in the form of the internalization of power. The internalization of power takes place when one realizes that they are responsible for their thoughts, their words, and their actions, and that all that is consciously created of their thoughts, their words, and their actions is reflective of their ability to consciously create on planet Earth. As a result of the extensive degrees of mind control that is present in social, political, financial, educational, and religious institutions, many have been trained to think, speak, and behave not out of conscious choice, but rather out of subconscious programming, programming that is largely sourced from the education system and mass media. If the vast majority of the global population thinks, speaks, and behaves based upon subconscious fear-based programming, then the vast majority of the global population will be maintained in a state of perpetual fear wherein fear-based reactions become normalized behavior patterns. These fear-based reactions are not the result of internalized power or conscious choice. These fear-based reactions are the result of externalized power and subconscious programming. This is the say that to make a conscious choice is to make an empowered choice. To make make an unconscious choice is to make a disempowered choice. Therefore, we must all do our part to internalize our power so that we can make conscious decisions as to the direction of our lives. With such power firmly in hand, we can consciously choose to live with courage and creativity. In so doing, we can positively influence the quality of all life on planet Earth. Last thing, let our every thought be a conscious one. Let our every word be a conscious one. Let our every action be a conscious one, and let not fear impede upon our ability to consciously create, for the power to consciously create resides within us. The power is within, and that's precisely why the most important thing that anyone can do is to internalize their power because it is always within us. Those are the three steps to healing the trauma of September 11, 2001, or any other given trauma that we may have experienced throughout our lives. Is anyone there? Yes, brother, please. Hello? Can you hear me? Yes, can yeah, you hear, can hear me? me? Yeah, hear. Yes. yes. I'm here. Any questions, brother? brother Come on, any questions can... at all? Huh? Yeah, are there any questions? No sir.
2: Yeah, pardon me. I'm just leaving out of the building. Give me one second. Yes, we're just, I'm, we're just taking it in right now, um, internalizing what it is that you're delivering, and um, you know, I'm just drawing points of reference. You know, what I'm saying it, it, it all makes sense to me.
3: All right. Was there anything else you brothers needed me to expound on, or any questions um, from the listenership?
2: Um, I wanted you to touch on the, the points in which you said that you wanted to touch on in regards to, you know, how some other stories in the media might play into this especially what we're seeing with the quote-unquote racial profile in Ferguson and the advice that you would give parents out there that, you know, might have children as well, fit into these age groups that are being targeted. What is it that you're telling your own children that you would like to tell our audience as well to have children in that age group?
3: Yes, yes. Now let me say this, that uh, I have a 10-year-old son, a 9-year-old son, and I have a 3-year-old son. And what I'm going to say may seem controversial to some people, but people, we have to deal with the reality, and the reality is that the system is not fair. It is not fair, and African-American males are put in an extreme disadvantage, and this is the truth. And I'm saying this not as someone who feels like a victim, because I know my damn power. I handle mine. You can ask my wife. I take care of my business. I take care of my family. I'm here. I ain't going nowhere. But I do recognize that throughout my life, the system has been unfair to me because I am, quote, unquote, African-American or black or Negro-colored, whatever we want to call ourselves this week. This is the truth, and we have to deal with that truth, and we have to teach this truth to our sons so that they can be adequately prepared for the world, because the world is as it is. And until such time that the world changes, then we can therefore begin to at least change our approach. And, again, this is tactics. We have to teach our sons a, part, a particular way so they can manage and handle scenarios that may be unfair, but they can handle it in a certain way to where they can come out alive. People are, and, this is, again, this, for some people this may be controversial, and some people, because I rarely talk on race, but this is the truth. Uh, in addition to this, we have to be clear about um, the types of experiences that we have had growing up. Okay, you brothers probably can relate to this. Um, I grew up in Southern California, and I grew up during the advent of gangster rap. So, yes. gang banging was extreme back then. Okay, not only was gang bang, but the drive by—what people what they call the drive by—and a lot of people aren't familiar with that. But the drive by is we're in, you know, uh, folk will—I will sh- was going to say blast on here. I go, folk will shoot some, will shoot up a group of people, and in most cases, it, it was uh, rival gangs, and they would do it while they were driving by in a car. I cannot tell you how many times. I came to school, and one of my friends or someone that I knew had been killed in the drive by growing up. Hmm. So this issue of um, just the reality of growing up as an African-American boy and hearing these stories about other African-American boys dying in the streets, and then, of course, uh, hearing stories about other African-American boys being mistreated by the police, to have that. I developed what I call, and I talk about this inside my book, I call this the premature black boy death syndrome. And with the premature black boy death syndrome, it is a, an affliction that takes place within many of us when we were little, little boys and we began to think and believe that somehow we were not going to live past the age of 17, in some cases 16, in some cases 15, yeah. in some cases 14, 13. By the time I was 17, I was so happy just to be alive, ladies and gentlemen. And I wasn't gangbanging. I had cousins that were gangbanging and do all kinds of stupid shit. But I was not rolling like that. That's not how it was rolling, because I recognized that I had to get my ass up out of there. And it wasn't that it was all bad. One thing I could say about my mama was that she did a good job keeping us out of violent environments, but I did have a whole lot of gang-banging cousins, had bad influences. I also had a lot of friends in school who were gang-banging, and a lot of people that I knew, young brothers. We're talking about 12, 13, 14, 15, 6 years old, dying in the streets of Southern California with the advent of gang violence and the advent of gangster rap. People have really underestimated the impact, and also those movies that were coming out, Boys in the Hood, Menace to Society, etc. Yeah, the
2: programming movies.
3: Oh, yes, it was deep. And so I began to develop what I call the premature black boy death syndrome, where I believe that somehow I was not. Now, that is not fair. You see what I'm saying? It is not fair for any male to have to grow up thinking that way, but I thought that way. I do not want my son's thinking that way, but I must prepare them for the world, and therefore it will be necessary for me to teach them particular lessons about the unfairness of it all so that they can have a better probability of living a full and healthy life. So as it relates to the police, as an example, because right now there are a lot of stories that are circulating in the news, but I want people to understand that this type of abuse takes place all the time. What mass media does, and people don't get it twisted, don't think that it's just like all of a sudden. Okay, this is going on all the time. A lot of people are unaware of this because they don't have this experience of being quote unquote African American and having this experience of being pulled over or, or accosted by the cop for no good reason other than you look a particular way. A lot of people can't relate to that. There's a whole lot of people that can't relate can, can't simply cannot relate to that. I understand what that's about because I've had that experience. I can go on I can I can give you at least three experiences. And and, and most recently about five years ago, I was like, This is some bullshit. This is some straight bullshit. But you know what? I had to conduct myself a particular way so that I can get back home to my family. It's strategic, and I'm going to have to teach my sons the same thing. So, and this is controversial. I know some people, this may, you know, you you may say, you know, you shouldn't have to teach I know I shouldn't have to teach them, but it's about them living a full life. So there are things that I have to teach them about so that they can maximize the probability that they will not become the next victim. Okay? So here are some of the things that I will be teaching and i'm not teaching them yet because right now they they're not in environments where in they will be accosted by the police and i guard them 24 hours a day we homeschool. we do our things a lot differently here inside the honor household so if anything ever was set off i would be the front line of defense anyway so there's certain things that they do not have to deal with until they get older. Once they start getting out into the world, a lot of us, we got out into the world a lot sooner than we should have, and we were not prepared and, and we were not given the proper instruction by our fathers on how to conduct ourselves when we are put in certain circumstances, even if those circumstances were unfair to us. There's a way, there's a way that you handle that. There's a way that you, you conduct yourself. There's a way that you stand, a way that you speak, a way that you, you interact with, with some opposing force so that you increase the likelihood that you do, your life is not expelled in those moments. Okay, I know this isn't fair, and I know that there are people, it's controversial, but it's the truth. What I will be teaching my sons is, look, uh, brothers, uh, my, my dear uh, sons, life is not fair. And there is this concept called race out there that is totally unfair. And there are people who have these views about African-American males, that African-American males are savages, that African-American males are gangbangers, that African-Americans are criminals, African-American are males are criminals, that African-American males have a whole bunch of baby mamas, that African-American males are rapists that African-American males are criminal-minded. Is that fair, son? No, that's not fair. Are you any of these things? No. And we'll have this We'll have this conversation. But, but then I would say, but despite the fact that that is not you, you need to be aware that there are people who may see you as being that. And so, therefore, if you're, putting a, you're put in a situation, it would be an intellectual conversation like this, you see. If you're ever put in a position where people see you like that and they treat you a certain way because they see you like that, there is a particular way that you should conduct yourself, and then I would probably bring in the conversation about the police and I'll probably give particular examples of myself let me give one real quickly so before we move to this house so we're talking about maybe five years ago I used to I had a business an online business and we used to sell products on eBay me and my aunt-in-law and my uncle and there was a uh, uh, what we call a mail store in California or in San Diego. We called it a mail store, and that's it's a, you know, it's where you can go and ship boxes. And it's you know, it'd be like a FedEx, but it was a, a mom-and-pop kind of thing, so we called it a, a mail store. And I used to go down there all the time. I would go down there and okay. drop off packages. Sometimes the packages were so big I would have to put them on a dolly, walk them down the street, mm-hmm. uh, down the street to, to unload, and then walk on back. One time I, I come up out of, of the, uh, the, uh, the mail store, and I have the dolly with me, and I'm walking back home. It's just a couple of blocks, maybe three blocks from my house. Here come the police. Okay, and they're following me. I'm in the parking lot walking. They're following me behind me, and I don't, I don't pay any mind because I know what kind of man I am. I'm not a criminal mind. I ain't never had any problems with the law. I'm not abusive. I'm, not, I'm nothing like that. Now, that don't mean I, don't, I, I can't get in someone's ass if I had to, but the point is that I'm a very peaceful brother. That's just how my disposition is. And yet, mm-hmm. this whole pole. Gets on his uh, whatever they call it the, the amplifier thing. Stop! Stop right there! Stop what you're doing! I turn back around. I'm, I'm looking around like who is he talking to? So I keep on walking. <laughs> like, he, he can't be talking to me. This is me. You know what I'm
1: saying?
3: You yep. and, and whatever I had on, whatever the clothes I had on. He, he, and I, then I realize, wait, this this I was gonna say this nigga's talking to me. This dude is talking to me. This police is talking mm-hmm. to me. Now, in that moment, you know what? I, have, I had many options. I could have said, fuck you. Okay, I could have done that. I, I could have turned my mm-hmm. back and kept walking. I, uh, I could have ran. I could have took off something. Mm-hmm. I could have went back into the, to the, to the mail store and asked the guy that I'm all, I was always down. And he, this, this cat, uh, he, he knew me, and he used to talk to me all the time. And I was just right here, just right here. And can you validate that I was just right here and that I come down here to develop? Right? I, could, I had plenty of options. But in my mind, what was I thinking? What I was thinking was, life is not fair. I know how this person is seeing me because that's why he stopped me for no damn reason. Okay, no legitimate reason. And, I, you know, I pride myself, you know, you've you got to respect people um, uh, not based upon what you think of them, but who they are. You see what I'm saying? And I consider myself to be a very peaceful, honorable man. I, consider, I, I, I pride myself on intellectual process. I've always been this way. I conduct my affairs. The way that I deal with people, I'm honest. I'm sincere. I'm not always right about things. But I, but my intent is always good, and yet I'm being looked at as if I'm a criminal because I look a certain way. So this nigga get this cop, excuse me, this cop gets up out the car and he approaches me and he says, "What are you doing?" Now again, I have options. I can just said none of your motherfucking business, okay? I, I could have said that, but what am I thinking about? Okay, this is what I mean, people. We and this, I know it's unfair. But, but if we want our boys to survive certain scenarios, we have to teach them a certain way of dealing with these and managing these types of, these types of scenarios. Instead of me getting belligerent, I complied. See, I know mm-hmm. some people say, oh, man, fuck that, man. He's he tripping on you. You got a bust on him. No, no, ladies and gentlemen. That's not what I'm teaching my sons. But I'm teaching them that it's unfair, yes, but you have to conduct yourself in an in appropriate way because it's not worth you being taken out.
0: Yeah,
2: it's, it's not surviving. worth
3: that. It's not worth that. So what I did was I complied. Oh, I'm, I'm, I just came over here from, from uh, dropping off this box, and I have a home-based business. I'm on eBay. I started giving him information he wasn't even asking for. You know what I'm saying? I'm, and, and what I'm doing is I'm taking the power away from him. I'm giving him the information that he would have already asked for, but I'm giving it to him in advance to put him at ease so that he won't draw on me. Now, mm-hmm. is that – should I even have to be thinking like that and putting up with that bullshit? No, I shouldn't have to be thinking like that. But I understand the dynamics, and I understand, I understand the concept of race and the demonization of African-American males, and I understood that he saw me in a certain way that, was, that, was not, that should, not, should not have been attributed to me. So I have to play the game in a sense, but I'm playing the game for survival so that I can get back home. And you know what I was thinking about? i got to get back home to my family because my wife needs me. My children yeah. need me. You see what I'm saying? It's a whole different orientation than getting belligerent and trying to get buck wild and all that. that you, we, we have to train our boys to manage the scenario. And don't put all of the power, and it's okay to comply, but comply in, in a certain way to where you're giving the information that they would normally ask for, and as you give them the information, it puts them at ease because they feel as if they don't have to do their job. You're doing their job for them. So and, and get this, it goes so deep. I put out my ID. I show my ID. And then he says, well, can I check if you have any weapons? You have any weapons on you? Somebody, nigga, I'm thinking to myself, nigga, what are you talking about? Okay, it a Mexican dude anyway, but this is how we used to talk back in the day. People don't get it twisted. I know I'm saying nigga a little bit, and a lot of people ain't used to me saying it, but this is just how we used to talk, okay? <laughs> and then you just, you, just, you, know, you know, you talk, narrating. Up, you just, yeah, that's what I'm saying. When these scenarios come up, or whenever I talk about my childhood, I go back into the mode of how I used to talk back then. You see what I'm saying? So the survival instinct in me in that moment, that's why music is coming up, because that's how, that's how we were raised in a, in a certain kind of environment growing up. in we were with, as young African-American boys, young black boys, we were thinking survival because so many of us were dying in the streets. So we began to develop this, this, uh, this concept that I call the premature uh, black Boy death Syndrome, and therefore, whenever I talk about this, the, the language of my child becomes to come up, so nigga, the, people don't take offense. I'm just saying it because that's what's coming to mind. So, but anyway, the, the, the cop asks if he can, he can check if I have any weapons. Do you have any weapons? I said, no, I don't have any weapons. I do have a razor in my pocket that I use to cut the boxes whenever I ship. I'm at, see, what I'm doing, I'm giving him the information so that he doesn't come up and get into my pocket and then he finds something, and now there's a struggle, and now we got a problem. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? I know it's not fair. Yes needs to be done. So what do I do? Do I say no? Do I say, do you have a search warrant? No. I comply. I and I know, again, some people say that's some weak shit. That's some weak ass. Shit. Look, brother, I'm trying to get home to my wife. I don't give a damn about trying to be you know, braggadocio and have some power and all, all on the street. I not give a damn about that. My job is to get my ass home safe and alive. I know it's not fair. And I'm going to tell my sons, your job is to get yourself home safe and alive. That is your primary objective. So I comply. I say, go ahead and check me. Cause I know I ain't got nothing on me. I don't do drugs. I ain't never done any drugs. Don't do no, no drugs whatsoever. No marijuana. No, Never smoked weed. Never hit the 40-ounce. Never done any alcohol. I know how I'm living. I know how I was living. I'm an honorable, honorable man raising my children. I'm delivering my own babies at home with my wife and that's just me and her. I live a certain kind of way, but I comply anyway. He checks me out. He frits me. He don't find anything. And, ju- and just when he's finished, Another popo pull up. And you know what? The police officer who gets out the car is the same one who pulled me over for no damn reason about two months before. Wow. And I say, what's up? Yeah. And what do I do? What do I do? Do I going on him? No, I say, hey, what's up, man? You remember? You see what I'm doing? You remember you pulled yeah. me over? You see, I, I'm disarming him. this is one of the lessons I learned from my, my, um, uh, my uncle, who, who was a martial arts expert. You disarm people, and you can disarm people by how you speak to them. So I go, hey, man, well, you remember you pulled me over, and now look at me here, man. Now I've got to go through this all over again. You know that's crazy. And I'm laughing while I'm saying it, and he starts laughing too. This disarms the other police officer who had pulled me over for no reason in the first place. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? I know I had to kind of comply, and it was unreasonable, and it was unfair, but look at me now. I'm still alive, and I got home to my family. And it could have gone a whole other route if I did not approach this scenario in a particular way. And I have to teach my sons this. It's not fair, I know. It's not fair. It's not reasonable. It's not logical. It's not even ethically sound that we would even have to deal with that. But if we know the system and we know that we are put in a position, a disadvantaged position as African-American males, then we best teach our boys about this so that they can strategize. In any war, if you will, you have to have tactics and you have to have a strategy. And, therefore, if you know that there is a war that is being waged against young African-American males, then, therefore, you have to raise them so that they can have the right approach to the war. You see what I'm saying? So I will be teaching my sons when the time is right because now is not the time. But when the time is right, this is what I will be teaching, him, teaching them. And some people will say that's controversial and you shouldn't have to do that. I know I shouldn't have to, but these, these are the cards that we have, dealt, have been dealt. And, for me, it is more important that I live and survive. And it's more important that my sons live and survive than me worrying about and complaining about how the system is so abusive. Okay, let's continue to live in the first place, and then let's begin to turn the system around. But we've got to live in the first place in order to turn the system around. I know, ladies and gentlemen, that's controversial. But if you want to see your boys come of age and live long, healthy lives, you have to train them in this way, in particular African-American males. You have to train them in this way. And when you don't, it will maximize the probability of them not coming home. Something for people to think about, I know it's controversial, but this is how, this is my approach with my own boys, and I wouldn't be telling other people this if I I didn't believe this, and I wouldn't be teaching my boys this if I didn't believe this to be necessary, and it is absolutely necessary these days.
2: Couldn't agree more, you know? And I explained to people that, you know, if, if people are partaking in the diet which is the entertainment that's constantly reinforcing this aspect of a criminal or deaf culture, you know, you have to understand that that's what subconsciously you're programming. You're attracting those things to you because I hear songs that I don't even like and they stay in my head. I'm being programmed. Mm -hmm. Now, if you were listening to those songs and you got them on your iPod, they have all of these mechanical devices now that you can, Constantly keep those songs on repeat, and your, your, your mind is, is repeating the songs, and you're remixing them in your head as well. You're doing a dance and a jiggle. You're popping to it thoroughly. You know what I'm saying? You're thoroughly part of that expression at this point. It has become you.
3: Yes, and a and point of fact, a lot of brothers that I grew up with, they became that third archetype simply because of the music that they were listening to. I'm talking about brothers that were, like, living in, like, you know um uh, nice houses mm-hmm. and nice environments and all this stuff, but they started listening to particular types of music, started watching the music videos, started watching the movies, and all of a sudden they are a thug fake ass i can't that's one thing I can't stand is fake ass thugs, but see what what happens as a consequence is that people begin to engage in ideas thought, thought patterns, behaviors that are destructive because they've been get, they've been get, they've been given a steady diet of degradation. Here we go again. see people underestimate the degrees of degradation that took place against young African-American males, especially my generation as we were growing up, and, you know, the previous generation, too, with the black exploitation films. The same thing applies. A lot of the cats that, that, that came before us, you know, I'm talking about you, uh, uh, red uh, pill, blue pill, that came before our generation, a lot of them, they come from the vantage point of pimpism and pimp culture. And one of the reasons why is because they were thoroughly indoctrinated into a lot of the uh, black exploitation films. And if you all look at the black exploitation films consciously, you'll find that much of it was based upon pimp culture, bitches and hoes. That's why like a lot of the lyrical content that came out the, the, uh, out of uh, rap uh, music uh, dealt with bitches and hoes. The, the idea was that uh, to a great degree, hip-hop was the child, I'm talking about artistically speaking, it was a child of black exploitation, it was, and black exploitation films was a precursor to hip-hop. So that's why the same type of language you see it inside certain hip-hop artists, and then that same type of programming perpetuated itself over time, and we still call calling our women bitches and hoes. Y'all do realize that we weren't calling our women bitches and hoes forever. Okay, this is something that's more recent. It's a more recent phenomenon, but we were given the programming, and the programming degraded us as men. And it's always directed, for the most part, it is directed at men. It's not that African-American women don't get the, the programming, but most of it is directed at men, because if you can degrade African-American males to a particular degree, then that, to a particular degree, now the defense mechanism that should be in place is now alleviated. It no longer exists. You think i got my sons listening to this type of bullshit that's up on, on the, the radio these days? It's not happening, ladies and gentlemen. You think I – my daughters don't even know who Lady Gaga is. They don't, they don't know who Britney Spears is. They don't know who any of these uh, – uh, Rihanna is. They don't know any of that bullshit, They're, and there's a reason why, because as a man, I keep their consciousness protected from the bullshit. You think I got my, my sons listening to music, talk, calling women bitches and hoes? How am, I going, how am I going to allow that if I'm trying to teach them how to be honorable men and to respect women, and I'm respecting my wife in the process? You see, a lot of us, we got pulled into a paradigm of dysfunctionality, especially as relation to male from relationships simply because of the music that we were listening to and then got the, the damn uh, music videos that we was watching. were watching. Where you know, business ain't shit. And you got women on their half naked. I remember there was one video where this brother takes a, a credit card and swipes it through the backside to the, to the ass, if you will, of a, of a woman who was scantily dressed. And, and, and these, are, these are quote-unquote African American people. And this is the type of programming that we got. And we wonder why we, have, we fail so much in melting relationships. We don't even respect each other. And how can we respect each other when in the archetype that we were given, and we were given and fed to from birth, ladies and gentlemen, it was dysfunctional. You got people, and I've seen this so many times, you have people who have their children sitting in the back seat and bumping this music this, this music that is calling women bitches and holes, and it's graphic in nature. In, in, in many cases violent extremely violent but in many cases also sexually uh uh, uh sexually uh, grotesque if you will and the little baby's sitting in the back seat little baby one years old two years old three years old. what are we doing so this is the degradation of us as a people and it's very it's very clear to me part of my job is to keep my children protected from that program and everyone should be protecting their children from that programming See, a lot of the people from my generation, we were not adequately protected from that programming, and therefore we begin to adopt certain ideas, thoughts, and ideas. And all of a sudden, people want to be thugs, fake ass. All of a sudden, we want to be pimps. All of a sudden, we want to be gangbangers. All of a sudden, we want to start dealing that coke, or we want to start dealing the marijuana. And before we listen to the music, we weren't even, we weren't even thinking on that level. So this is part of it, too. Part of the training and preparing our young boys to be men is to also keep them protected from the programming that would degrade them in the first place. And we don't do a good job at that. We tend to, I'm talking about collectively. African-American folk, we, do not, we tend not to, in general, we tend not to do a good job with that. And that's one of the most important things that we can do for our children is to keep them safe from these degrees of programming that degrades their life experiences by giving them an archetype that is dysfunctional. My sons will not be listening to this music, and they will not be watching the music videos. They will not be reading the magazines that have women have dressed. My daughters will not be seeing the magazines. My children, ladies and gentlemen, we will not be buying our babies $250 sneakers. What kind of shit is that? i tell you one thing, they will have their microscope. i tell you one thing, they will have their library in order. i tell you one thing, they will have their Legos. They will have dolls that look like them. And this is the last thing, brother. I know I'm going on a little bit of rant here, but I don't really get to talk about these topics that often. I'm thinking about starting my own radio show just to talk about these types of topics. I want people to be clear about something. We cannot, excuse the pun, afford to make excuses as to why we can't do better for these babies. My wife and I, we're raising five children ourselves. We do this making about $30, $34,000 a year before taxes. We're raising five children in California, mind you, okay? And we're doing this while homeschooling our children. We feed our children. We educate our children ourselves. We even give birth to own children at home, unassisted, just me and my wife. Next, if we ever have another baby, who's delivering it? I'm delivering this next baby. I delivered the last three. The first two we gave birth to at a birthing center. So in this sense, living in California with the type of money that we make and then also the contributions that we give to other people, I'm talking about the support, the videos, the, the writing, the books, the documentaries, doing the radio shows, the radio interviews, we do a whole lot, and yet while we're doing all of this, we're still managing to raise our family in a positive way. We cannot make excuses, ladies and gentlemen. We can't say we don't have the money. We have the money to go get the Xbox 364 thousand three twenty. We, got, we find a way to get the money for the, the Nike shoes that cost $250 that brothers killing themselves over. We find the money to get the, you know, get them rims on the car. We, we find, we'll find the money, but we, we can't find the money to invest in our children. We can't find the money to get them things that will stimulate their intellectual process so they can be the best human beings that they can be. No, we cannot make excuses. If My wife and I, we can do it. Anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. We cannot afford not to do it, and yet we do it with, a, with very little money. relatively speaking, very little money. It can be done, but people, we have to commit to this. And it makes a difference because what will happen is when my children come of age, they will have had a life experience. Basically, they'll have 20 years' worth of a life experience where they were loved, where their intellectual faculties were stimulated, where their gifts were nurtured, they will, have, they will have about 20 years of a father being there in their lives, loving them, guiding them, showing his sons how to be men, showing his daughters how they are deserving of being in the presence of an honorable man and that they should never accept anything less than that. You see what I'm saying? 20 years of being educated by their parents who, I, in my opinion, are quite intelligent. I recognize that I'm more intelligent than most college professors, and that is not a statement of arrogance. It is a statement of fact. So we can do this just imagine what our children will how our children will benefit and i'm not saying that everyone has to do exactly what my wife and i are doing but you have to invest in the babies in the appropriate ways, and you have to invest in the things that make the difference in terms of the quality of their life. And some $250 sneakers will not benefit them long term. The Xbox 360, is not going to benefit them long term. The rims on your car is not going to, and the, the, the boom system with the boom, 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 all up in the boom, boom, that is not going to benefit them long term. All the fancy clothes is not going to benefit them long term. I cannot even remember the last time I took my children to go get some clothes, ladies and gentlemen. But these are sacrifices that I'm willing to make because I recognize that I have to make an offering to the world, and I have to do what I have to do, not just as their father. Mind you, they do have clothes, okay? I recognize that, but I also know that I have an obligation to help other people so that they can get their lives on track and they can, they can raise their children. I can't even remember the last time I got my own self some new clothes. But I do know one thing, that as a man, I am doing what I must do and what I should do to help other people, but also to raise my children appropriately. And if that means that I have to make certain sacrifices, then we make those sacrifices. We do what we have to do as men. This is part of being a man. You make sure that you do what you have to do to raise your children appropriately. And we should not make any excuses. There are no excuses. And I know some people will say, well, Lennon, you're special. No, I grew up with the same type of bullshit that I'm writing about in my book. When y'all read the book, there are stories that I would tell in that book that I don't I really, I don't even know if my wife wants me to tell, but I would tell you, I would tell people, and I would share candidly why. Because I've been through the shit and I've done the shit. You see what I'm saying? But I recognize that as a man, I have to become more than that. And as I become more than that, I must raise my sons to become more than that. And we can't make excuses. If we, and what happens, again, this is the last thing. When we raise our children appropriately, you give them that love for the 20 years, 18, 20, 22 years, however long it takes. When they come of age, they will be in a position that you were not in. You were not in and they will be more empowered to experience a greater life experience than what you experience. See, that's what it's all about. It's not about right now and what we don't have. It's about what our children will have because of the sacrifices that we are willing to make, and we should all be making these types of sacrifices for our children. Raise them right. In particular, our boys, raise them right. Make sure that they're on the right course. Teach them the lessons, even the lessons that are unfair, that speaks to the unfair aspects of society. Teach them those lessons, too. Raise them into honorable men, and you will find that after a few generations, if we all committed to this, things will totally turn around for African-American people. See, if you want to blame everyone else, no, it's on us as parents. I'm going to say one last thing, and people, you can get mad if you want to, but truth is truth, and I can only tell you the truth as I know it. The greatest threat to African-American boys is irresponsible as parents. I'm going to say it one more time. The greatest threat to African-American boys is irresponsible as parents. We can blame other people as much as we want to, but the truth of the matter is that we have not done a good job with raising our boys into men. Similarly, the greatest threat to African-American girls is irresponsible as parents. This is the truth. People, you can get mad if you want to, but for those of us who are responsible for our children, we don't get mad because we know the truth. And so, therefore, if you are getting mad, look at how you're raising your babies and do something different. When you do something different, it is in their best interest. And that's what it it, it really comes down to. We can blame the system. We can blame global white supremacy. We We can blame the government all day, but it's not going to change shit. What changes shit is us as parents doing a better job for these babies, and we have the power to do it. Stop externalizing power. Internalize power as parents. People do not realize how much of an influence, a positive influence that we can have on future generations simply by being the best parents that we can be and every single day working towards that goal. I have not always been the man that I am today. I have not always been the father that I am today I have not always been the husband that I am today but every single day I have committed myself to becoming as the best that I can be I want to be the best husband that I can be to my wife I want to be the best father that I can be to my children I want to be the best man that I can be so I can present to the world an example of what we can become as African American males and I make no excuses as I continue in my journey as I continue in my ascension and none of us we should never make excuses because the power is within us and any of us if we so choose we can be something great last thing brothers understand this just because your daddy wasn't shit doesn't mean that you're going to be shit let me phrase it another way just because your father wasn't there does not mean that you cannot be something great. You can become something great, but you got to commit yourself to refining yourself, your thoughts, your words, and your actions every single day. The power is in you. If I could do it with the types of shit that I've been through in my life, you can do it too. But you got to make the commitment and make no excuses. You Every single day, you improve upon your thoughts. What are the quality of the thoughts that I'm keeping every single day? What's the types of music that I'm listening to? What kind of food am I eating? What's the kind of shit that I'm saying to other people that is totally dysfunctional? You look at your thoughts. You look at your words. How am I speaking? Have I developed my vocabulary so that I can adequately speak? There was a time where I could not get a sentence out and make damn sense, ladies and gentlemen. There was a time where I was shut down completely communicating with people because I did not have the intellectual aptitude to be able to communicate efficiently with people. But what did I do? I committed myself. I bought myself a tape recorder, recorded myself speaking. And then from that day on, I started to work on my ability to verbalize and to be able to present information in a way that is amicable, where people can understand. I developed my vocabulary. I made a commitment to this at an early age. And so instead of calling women bitches and hoes all the time and niggas ain't shit and fuck you, now I can get and I can talk to people and, and, and literally communicate high levels of information in a way that many people can understand. And if, if need be, I can tone it down a little bit so that other people can understand. But I have had to go through the process of refining myself as a man, refining my thoughts, refining my words, and most importantly, refining my actions, what I do day by day. Brothers, we've got to do this. Day by day, you should be refining. You look at what you're doing day by day, and you look at the stuff that is functional and is meaningful and is helping you and is helping other people that is helping your family, and those are the things that you commit to. Those things that are dysfunctional, that is taking away your ability to provide for your family, that is taking away your ability to be the best man that you can be, you have to let go of that shit. And that's the truth of the matter. So, ladies and gentlemen, by no means have I arrived at some pinnacle of my own progressions in life as a man, as a husband, as a father, but I am working day by day, and I want to inspire others to do the same. And anyone can become great. It's a matter of you applying yourself. And I am totally committing to help brothers to realize this truth, and if there is anything that I can do to help brothers to do this, I will do it. Okay, brothers, I know I kind of went on a rant, but I feel like doing it. I hope you don't mind. (laughs) Is anyone there? It's
0: very
2: necessary that level of love for children. For children that are not his children. So, you know, I'm honored to hear that commentary. It is, uh, like you said, it's a conversation that we're not having in general. And somebody has to say it.
3: Yes, absolutely. I know it's a little bit off the topic, but I think it is important to address. No, because no, I, I, I don't
2: think it's off the topic at all. I don't well, think brothers, it's going to at all, you know, yeah, because yeah,
0: any, that, that
3: installation any, of love
2: that something talking about is a barrier against fear, period.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. That's the truth. See, when we are loved appropriately as children, we, we do not right. have fear. This is true. hmm
2: And the reason why my generation and generations, you know, those many generations that sat in the audience that were susceptible to that level of programming is because... You know, all of our generations at one point or another have been exposed to some level of a lack of love, which made fear that much more easier to program. Mm. You know, the baby boomers were, were 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 raised with, you know, this level of fear that was induced in them by seeing, a fact, my generation was raised with a level of fear that was induced by seeing, like you said, that, uh, that that cannibalization of young black males by one another, you know, by way of drug wars and things of that nature. You know, the generation after me, you know, they were exposed to uh, the desensitizing of that killing by way of video games
0: and, and things of
2: that nature. And then they were the crack babies. So mm-hmm. that lack of love, you know, it wasn't fair because the parents wasn't fair. So everybody was primed and set program to be dropped on them. And the only thing theoretically that's going to get them out of that program is to restore that love, that thing that's missing so much that you could fill up that empty volume with anything. And in this particular case, we're talking about fear.
3: Very well said, brother. Very well said. It all comes back to that. I really do believe that it all comes back to that. When we love our children properly, and when we give them our all as parents, the levels of fear that they have will be greatly diminished, and it makes a huge difference. I mean, people underestimate the power of love. The problem is that so many of us, we weren't loved properly growing up, so we weren't used to being loved. I put my daughters to bed every single night. We have a whole routine that we run through. They come and they say, Daddy, I'm ready for bed. Did you brush your teeth, baby? Sometimes, yes, I did. Sometimes, okay, well, go brush your teeth. And after they brush your teeth, they come back. I put, give them a piggyback ride to their bed. put put in the bed. Always give them a kiss. Tell them how beautiful they are. Baby, you have a good night, see if you're so pretty, give him kisses, give him a hug, I'll see you in the morning, every single night. My sisters didn't get that. What my sisters got was my father calling them bitches. Get your ass in the bed, set your ass up. That's the kind of shit that we went through. You see what I'm saying? With my sons, every single night, we sit down and we read books. I bought a whole Encyclopedia set for $5, ladies and gentlemen, the best investment I've ever made in my life. It was at the library, and they had it for $5. And I went and I ran to the ATM, got me five, I got $20, went to the store, bought something, so I had some change, and, and raced back to the book, to the, and I was excited the whole time. Oh, my son. These books are, these are encyclopedias about science and invention. See, my, my boys ain't, ain't reading Vibe. They ain't watching D.E.T. bullshit. You see what I'm saying? They're not listening to the rap music, calling them bitches and hoes and niggas. And, they're not, they, they don't even know that. They don't know that if, if, if someone said nigger to them, they would not even know what that shit is. Don't have someone call one of my children niggas. Okay, you can call me that all day. I don't have a problem because that's what we were raised like that. It ain't not make me no damn difference. But you call my children that, I'm going to warn you once. I may even warn you a second time, but you do it a third time, especially in my house, someone's ass is going to get beat down, and it ain't going to be me. And, again, I'm not a violent person, but we have to be at the front line defense for our babies. But we have been so socialized and normalized to accept different levels of abuse. With my sons, this is is what we do every single night. Sons, have you brushed your teeth? No. Yes. Okay. Go ahead and brush your teeth. Once you're done, come on in the room. We're going to read. We sit down and we read out of these uh, encyclopedias. And it's something that we do. And they look forward to it. My dad never read. I can't remember my father ever reading me anything. Not one thing. You see? But with my sons, every single night, we sit down and we read. And while we read, we talk. Okay? We talk about what we're reading. We talk about why it's relevant to them. We talk about, you know, um, uh, what they can do to create things themselves, inventions. Give them a sense of possibility as opposed to sons. You know what? You can be gangbangers and thugs like a lot of cats that I grew up with. No, I don't want them to receive that programming. You can be whatever you want to be. You can be a scientist if you want to be. So let's read books on science and engineering. My father, and then after I'm done reading these books with my sons, they get into bed. I talk with them a little bit longer. And then I always tell them before, you know, I leave the room, sons, I love you. Have a good night's sleep. I love you. And they always say, and sometimes when they don't say I love you back, I said I love you, and they say I love you. It's important for us to instill that love. And then what I do, usually, because they don't go to sleep right away, they usually talk inside their room. See how I'm talking about it? I'm excited. I'm happy about it. Because I know what I'm doing is the right thing to do. This is not what my father did for me. So we can't make excuses that we can't do something different for the next generation. And we all got our program. We all have our traumas. But we've got to transcend the trauma so we do better for the next generation. What usually happens is they keep talking. I leave the room, and then they keep talking, and then maybe after about 15 minutes, I come back in the room. And then we have this thing. It's from the Klingons from Star Trek, and, and they do this saying, and they say, kapla. And usually when they say kapla, they, 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 they grab each other's uh, uh, forearms. Right? So they lock each other. You know like how we used to give each other pounds back in the day, right? They, they lock each other's forearms and they hold each other's forearms and they say kapla. And it's like saying, peace be unto you. We do this every single night. And my sons, they enjoy that and I enjoy that too. And then, I, then they go to bed. They go to sleep. See, this is something that I do for my children. And this is not something that should be special. This is what every single father should be doing for their child. We should all be. This is what I mean. Every single day we love our children. It's not something that we do every once in a while. It has to be deeper than that. We have to love them every single day in every single way that we possibly can so that they can feel loved and know that they are deserving of love. How many sisters out there have chosen males who did not really love them because they did not believe that they were deserving of love in the first place? See, all relationships are based upon the value that you place upon yourself, and if you don't believe that you're worth enough to be able to receive love in your life, you're going to choose people who will not love you. So it has deep implications. My daughters will not be in dysfunctional male female relationships. I'm not going to have it as their father. Anytime when they get up, of age and young brothers or whoever it may be start to express interest. Okay, come on in here. Let me talk to you. I'm gonna sit you down in a chair. i may even chain you up, and and I'm gonna I might have to put some some uh, uh, some give you some shock therapy and all that stuff so I can get the information. I'm gonna I'm going to lock you down on this chair and I'm gonna get all the information that I need. And if you tell me anything that I don't like, you're not going to be dealing with my daughter. How many of us, how many of our fathers were there for us to that capacity for you young women out there who who were there for us to keep us safe and to keep us protected? Most of us did not have that. My sisters did not have that, okay? So what I'm saying is that it is about instilling the levels of love, and it needs to be done every single day. And when we instill the levels of love, our children do not experience the same levels of fear, and they tend to to begin to see a greater possibility for themselves. And I can tell you this right now with absolute certainty, based upon how my wife and I were raising our children that my sons and my daughters will be much further along than I am by the age of 38 intellectually. They will also be much further along in their life financially by far. They will also come into a level of understanding as to how to function within a male-female relationship, a positive male-female relationship far in advance than I was. My sons will come into manhood far sooner than I came into manhood. See, this is how it works because I am instructing them. I am giving them the information. I am giving them the love. I didn't really come into a level of respectable manhood until the age of 29, and that's a damn shame because my firstborn son, he was, I had him when I was 28-ish, maybe almost 29. But not until I was 29. Just imagine if I came into manhood at the age of 19, what kind of difference would that have made in my life on many different levels, including financially. You see what I'm saying? So if we raise the children, the next generation appropriately, they will come into a level of wisdom that we did not come into, and they will have a better life experience and be more empowered than we were. And that's what it's all about, and we can't make excuses. We can't say because we don't have money or because our father was abusive to us or because our mother was abusive or because our father abandoned us or because our mother abandoned us or because our father or whatever, whatever the case may be. We can't make excuses because the power is within us. We have to external, internalize that power and use that power to shape the reality of our children's lives in a positive way. This is my commitment. And, again, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not saying this as someone who's not living this. I'm saying this as someone who is, who is passionate about this. This is how I live. This is how my wife and I live. And it's so important that we receive This type of information that will inspire us in a way to where we can do better for ourselves and better for our own children. We can all do it as a matter of a choice. Internalize your power. More than anything else, internalize your power.
0: Indeed.
2: I mean, like I said, you know, I haven't even read everything that you publish in regards to fatherhood, things of that nature but I see your posts. I've seen some of your videos and I definitely can see the testimony and how you live your life that, uh, you know, you definitely not only lay an example of fatherhood, but I can see through your demonstration. that you're doing something that wasn't done for you and it speaks to your, 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 your demonstration, you know? So I can only hope that, you know, people that are watching a demonstration as well will be able to walk away with the same thing. Is there any indication at this point in your life that any of your sons might want to join you in the line of work that you you become so well-known for?
3: You know, that, that's, interesting. that's an interesting question. And one of the important things that we, we should do for our children is to understand what it is that their life purpose is about. And you can really get an idea, if you, if you really pay attention, you can get a good idea of what their um, life purpose is about. And it can be a couple of different things. So if I went down a list of all of my children, I can tell you what it is that their interests are. I can also tell you what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are as well. Okay? I can say that my oldest son, he does tend to, to take an approach to manhood that is quite remarkable. For instance, he, he understands, like, the difference between a boy and a man because I've done lectures on that, and I've also had a video series on that. i had a radio show on uh, titled Visions of Manhood, and he, he used to listen while I would talk about these type of things. And I would talk about things that in some cases were inappropriate for him to hear at that age, but he's my son, and we have to speak frankly and we have to be honest. And there were things that he learned that he internalized, you know, when he was like nine, uh, eight, nine years old, and he gets it. He knows the difference between them. If I ask him today, you know, or if you ask him today, son, what's the difference? Or, yeah, even son, if you want to, because I look at all babies as my babies. It don't make you no know, difference. If one of you saw my son and was like, hey, son, uh, what's the difference? Tell me, give me some differences between a boy and a man. He would be able to tell you and verbalize them. So I can see him being the type of a person, because he reminds me a lot of myself, who would, would be a great instructor as it relates to manhood and masculinity, fatherhood. The thing is that he has to develop the wisdom from personal experience. In other words, he has to, to have the experience of being in a positive male female relationship and develop the skill set to be in a positive relationship so, therefore, he can speak on the issue of positive male female relationships. That's another one of the challenges that we face amongst African-American people. We tend to go to people who are in dysfunctional male relationships and ask them for advi- advice. That's not logical or reasonable. You see what I'm saying? That's like going to someone uh, – let's say that's like going to, to, to someone uh, – and try to learn how to catch fish, and this person lives at the ocean, and this person is always hungry. Why are you always hungry? You're right here by the ocean, and you're supposed to be a master at catching fish. Where are all your fish? You don't have any. Well, that's because you're not a master at catching fish, so I don't want to learn from you, you see. So in this sense, my, there are things that my son, he has to learn for himself so that can really be ingrained him what it means to be a man, what it means to be a father, so forth and so on. But I can definitely see him um, being part of this world. I can see all of my children on certain levels, but him in particular, my oldest son, who's 10 – I can see him. Let me just do this just just so that people can understand that that it's important that we know our children. A lot of us, we don't know our children because we don't spend enough time with our children. I know my children. My wife, she knows our children very well. Um, My oldest son, he has a predisposition, if you will, or an extreme interest in building things as an uh, an architect. He would be a wonderful architect. He also has this presence about him that is very much wise. It's like almost like he's wise down his his years. I was kind of like that, but not at his age. I was like that when I was fifteen. He's like that when he's 10. It's amazing. So I'm wondering how that's going to shape itself and what that will mold him into later on in life as he continues to build upon that type of a presence. It's a very um powerful presence. It's in his eyes. It's also a presence that is um um like fatherly even though he's 10 years old. But I recognize it because I have that same kind of people tend to react to me in a particular way and he has that same kind of quality. My other son, Avi, um, he's the type of person that he can read a book, and after he reads the book maybe once, in some cases twice, he can recite back to you what he read, and he can do it verbatim. We don't know what that's about, why he has that skill set, but it is remarkable, highly intelligent. Sometimes he's, he's, he's so intelligent, like it makes me feel inadequate because I'm saying to myself, you're nine years old? That It's, it's just absolutely amazing. So I'm not quite sure what his life purpose is, but he does have this inclination towards geography, so my wife and I, we have a sense that he will be like a world traveler, someone who travels the world, maybe instruction, instructing people on certain types of things, but because he, is, he, he gravitates so much to geography and, and you know, uh, the earth and different locations in the earth, we have an idea that maybe it is that he will be someone who will be traveling around the world at some point in his life. My oldest daughter, Saida, who is um, – she is eight years old. She has a uh, – this gift for nature. She's so much interested in nature. She likes to be outside. She likes science. She likes the microscope. She also likes picking up bugs, looking at the bugs. She has a little, uh, one of my sister friends, um, um, Kai, She sent us, she's a scientist and a, and a botanist. She sent us all this stuff for our daughter, and our daughter just gravitated to it. She has her own little um, journal that she writes in. Anytime she finds a bug, she draws the bug, she writes the bug and writes information about the bug, where she found it, what, how many legs, all this, and she's She's uh, seven years old. It's amazing to me, right? Um, so we uh, can see so her well, as, yes. yeah, she can see her as a botanist or as she she says she wants to be um, a veterinarian, someone who takes care of animals. My uh, my younger daughter, uh, Samaya, who's five, she uh, she tends to have a a wonderful uh, artistic expression. So she we got her painting stuff. So she likes to paint, and when she paints, how she uses colors, I, I like posting pictures of that on because I'm so inspired by her. It is really, really unique, really, really moving. It's my daughter, and to see her painting and to see what she comes up with is absolutely amazing, so we can see her as an artist. And then, of course, the baby Jay, he's three. We don't really have an idea of what his interests are, but we are, we are constantly aware and watching him every single day so that we can get an idea. The idea, as parents, what we, t- what we try to do is once we identify what their interests are, we give them the things that nurture their interests, right? We give them the tools that they need. Kai, my friend Kai, she sent all this, this information. She sent in a whole box, and my daughter, she just opened it up, and she was so excited. This is nurturing her interests. See, the problem for a lot of us, our interests weren't nurtured when we were children because our parents weren't responsible like they should have been. And so the internal genius that you had or the internal genius that I may have had went untouched. And, and did not have the ability or did not have the opportunity to do express itself. And just imagine how much more of a fulfilled life you would have had, I would have had, listeners would have had if our parents, for those of you who had this experience, if our parents were truly committed to investing in the nurturance of true love, the nurturance of our gifts. See, this is the thing that will transform the reality for African-Americans, focusing for people in general. Love your children fully. Give them the, 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 give, bestow upon them the gifts that they need, not the, not the $250 sneakers. Ladies and gentlemen, please. Get them the gifts that will, that will allow them to explore their internal genius so that when they come of age, they will maintain their internal genius. I had, to, I had to reclaim my genius. I really had to, and it took me a long time. My children, they won't have to take the 15 years to reclaim their genius. It is intact now, and we will continue to, to assist them in growing it. And so by the time that they're 20, it will be vibrant, it will be healthy, and it will be able to, and they can be able to express it to the world. That's the idea as parents. Give them that gift. We are all born as geniuses. It's a matter of preserving and growing that genius. In the absence of love, that genius dwindles, and many of us, that's precisely what took place for us. But that is not what is going to take place for my children, and it doesn't have to take place for anyone's child if they commit to being fully present, loving, caring, nurturing parents. And we can all do this. We all can, and we can't make excuses, ladies and gentlemen. We cannot.
2: For the parents in the audience that may be interested in getting some more of your literature pertaining to, you know, the things that you're speaking about, regards to rearing children, where can they go? What do you have yes. available for them?
3: Yes, um, we have well two out two main outlets. Number one is on YouTube. My wife and I we do a live video stream every single Monday. We might be changing the date too, coming uh, the date uh, coming up here shortly. But yes. every single Monday at 6 p.m. Is it 6? No, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We do a live video stream. It's also archived on YouTube. Um, you can come to that. Uh, my YouTube page is Lennon Honor. L E N O N H O N O R. And you can ask questions in the chat room or you can email us questions. We're on Facebook under Lennon Honor and Aida Honor. You can send us questions there and we'll answer your questions live. You can even, at some point we have our phone lines hooked up again. You can call in and talk with us. That's one of the outlets that we try to help people in terms of their family, uh, especially mental relationships. That show is called Positive Relationships but we talk about our children. We talk about family. Uh, we talk about raising our children. Um, And, again, people don't have to do exactly what we're doing, but I think that we can all do better, and that's the idea. We want to inspire people to do better, and it can be done. Okay, people should not be dissuaded, and you shouldn't get discouraged. That's not the issue. The issue is, can I do better? And the answer is, yes, I can. So why not do better? We can all do better. It's it's a benefit to our children. The other outlet is we do have premium membership on or premium member videos on our website, winandhonor.com. And if you head on over to learnandhonor.com, there's a highlighted link in the navigation bar. Click on that link and sign up for premium membership. I encourage everyone to do that. Um, We have lectures on there. Um, We have podcasts. We have audio downloads. Um, One of the lectures that we have here will benefit both men and women, seven things that every man can do to prepare for a positive relationship, seven things that every woman can do to prepare for a positive relationship. Um, We have other lectures for men, other lectures for women, too. Um, one of the important things when it comes to male-female relationship is that it's not an issue of whether or not people are deserving of one; it's whether or not we're prepared for one. And we're simply, we collectively, African American folk, we're not prepared for positive relationships. Our parents don't teach us right. We get all the programming, and we're taught to call women bitches and hoes, and call them, you know, uh, men niggers, and niggers ain't shit, and niggers are dogs, and all this kind of stuff. Well, that, that's not coming from that mentality. That's not preparation. See, we got that's degradation. We have to prepare ourselves. So my my wife and I, we put together a lecture series for men and women. Um, dealing with the preparation process, and we have very specific things that anyone can do to prepare for, prepare for a positive relationship. Again, it's not whether or not you're it, because we're all deserving of it. It's an issue of being prepared. If you're not prepared in a potential for a positive relationship manifesting in your life and you're not prepared for it, you'll squander it, and that's precisely That happens all the time. I should also mention real quickly here, um, I just want to give a shout-out to Brother Ma Maatla because this brother, he has uh, really helped me uh, to get my message out. And we've done lectures at his um, business, and the lectures were recorded, and that we have those lectures available on the website as well. So I want to give a shout out to the brother uh, if he happens to hear this. or anyone who happens to hear this who knows the brother, shoot him an email and tell him yeah. I said thank you. Uh, but I
2: just want to explain. Uh, I to would like be- to know, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry to cut you, but you touched on something, and I don't want to lose the attention on that particular topic. What has been your success rate in regards to what people might call teaching a old dog new tricks as it pertains to somebody that has been indoctrinated their entire life with a certain psychology dealing with women. You know, the society that we live in reinforces somewhat of a very heavy hand towards male-female relationships. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Subjugation of women is something that's pretty much embedded inside of psychology of this culture. So somebody that was reared like that in that environment and their programming is so embedded, so far embedded in their subconscious, what has been your success rate in reversing that and bringing the person up out of that program?
3: Yes. What I will say is that my job is not to bring anyone out of a program. My job is to give people the information that they will need to see the program, and then ultimately they have to make the choice to transcend the program. So in this sense, I'm always successful with at least showing people the program. Like what I've done here, I can do it because I can articulate it in a particular way that people can understand. If I need to verbalize it in a different way, I can do that too. But, but the, the point is that the success rate for me has to do with whether or not I delivered my message and whether or not the, per- the person or the people understood the message. And if they understood the message, that's all that I'm there to do. See, I cannot make or transform a male into a man, and I can't change a boy into a man either, and I can't change a person's mentality. The person must do that. That's, again, that's the internalization of power. One of the challenges is, however, is that so, so many of us, because really, ladies and gentlemen, especially for African-American people, the issue is that we have been indoctrinated into thinking about each other in terms of male-female relationships in a very derogatory and disrespectful way for many, 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 many generations. And in that sense, we can't expect to simply turn the tide in one generation. You see, I'm saying. So this is a life work that extends beyond our life experience. That's why the children are important. Because if you raise the children in a different way, then they will raise their children in a different way. And then, let's say after ten generations, then we start to see some 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 change in this. So I think that this is part of it. This is a critical part of it. Is that for those of us who are doing this work, we shouldn't try to we shouldn't burn ourselves out on trying to change people per se. Because we have to put things in context that we have had five hundred years almost of indoctrination in terms of treating each other, dealing with each other, seeing each other in a particular light, uh, a particular light as African-American men and African-American women. And we're not going to change that in one generation. That doesn't mean that we can't, that doesn't mean like someone like me can't do what I have done or someone like you cannot do what you have done or someone that any of you are listening that you can't transform things. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that we have to put this in context and understand that in, in a broader scope of things, it is going to take generations to really transform things. And so we have to plan Across generations, the best way to plan across generations is to raise the next generation who will take the message forward, raise them properly, right? Let me say one other thing, and that is that I also recognize that for some people it's just simply too late. And I know that this is a hard truth for some people to swallow, but there are are people that I've dealt with who – It doesn't matter what I say, even if I have evidence of proof in terms of how I'm living and why it's important for me to be an honorable man and why it's important not to cheat on my wife and why it's important that I love my children and why it's important that I remain present in my children's lives every single day, there are people who still won't get that, and no matter what I say and no matter what evidence or proof that I show them as to their power or as to my power as a man, they still won't get it. Case in point, my own father. Did y'all know that my father is basically the same person that he was when he was a crackhead? He hasn't really changed. He hasn't changed much. His same ideas about women that he had when he was brutalizing my mama, he still has those ideas about women. The same notions that he had about his own masculinity and what it means a man, to be a man and all the boastful and you know, calling people niggers and shut your ass up and bitch this and you faggot and all this kind of stuff, he still has that same mentality. He hasn't changed one bit. Now, I could run myself into the ground trying to show my own father which is a paradox in and of itself, how to be a man. But I recognize that in some cases it's simply too late, and we have to be okay with that. That's why, really, the, the focus should be on these babies, you see. The focus should be on these babies who we can still yes, mold and sh- Yes, sir.
2: In your household, how do you protect against that, being that, you know, that's part of your lineage? Do you have your children? Oh, yeah. Uh, involved in, your gran- in their grandfather's life at all? Yeah. Is he mm-hmm. able to have any influence on their lives? Or are they thoroughly, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, programmed in a way in which that has no bearing on their rearing?
3: Yeah. Well, here here's the thing. As men, our main objective is to protect our children from harm. And that includes people who, you know, in terms of their presence or what their the, – the, the people's perceptions or ideas or even their mentalities, if their mentalities can harm our children, then we keep our children safe uh, from these people. In the case of my father, we've tried our best to try to include him into our children's lives, but the problem is, is that he hasn't changed since he was who he was when I was growing up, when he wasn't really a part of our lives in any significant way. While he was in our life for the first 13 years, he was abusive, destructive. He, wasn't, he didn't function as a father. He was a drug addict, alcoholic, smoked a whole lot of weed, and then at a certain point got on crack, and after that it was over. Right. By the age of 13, he's outside of the home, and once he's outside of the home, he can't function because he he's in his downward spiral. He kind of got himself together, and then he would go back, and then he would get himself together, you know, on and off, on and off, sober, and back on to the you know, back and forth. So he was never able to function as a man, and, and he never has functioned as a man. And understand this, that if you don't know how to function as a man, you can't function as a grandfather. In other words, if you can't function as a father, you can't function as a grandfather. So we have tried our best to try to include my father in our children's life, but Our experience was that it was a waste of our time because he would always, just like he used to do, he would make promises, say, I'm going to come to the birthday party, I'm going to be there, I'll see you there. He would make promises to our children, I'm going to get you this and get you that. doesn't show up. See, what this was doing was it was triggering my own trauma for my own childhood. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen, purify your information stream. You see? He was just triggering my trauma. He was also triggering my wife's trauma of being abandoned by her father with his weak ass. He's dead now, but he was a weak-ass dude. That's the truth. I call it like it needs to be called. Oh, you shouldn't talk bad about the dead. Well, you shouldn't lie either. So you tell the truth. Even if it hurts somebody, you tell the truth. That's what you do. As men, you should always tell the truth. And, and see, we get together, we get that someone dies, now we want to we get into the, the quote-unquote house of God, and now everyone wants to lie about the person. Oh, he was a good man. No, he used to rape people. He was a child molester. Are we going to just ignore that? I don't believe in that. That's bullshit. You tell the truth no matter what. Her father wasn't shit. My father wasn't shit. But we tried our best to include them in our children's lives, but they always broke promises because they were the same basic person that they were then. So nowadays, let me just give you an example because I was going to post this on my Facebook page. And I actually posted it, but then I deleted it afterwards because I didn't want to put anything somber on there. But I, I was sad two days ago, ladies and gentlemen. I got sad because my wife, my wife walked up to me and she said, you know, baby J, he asked me about his grandfather today, and he said, um, Mama, do I have a grandfather? Hmm. Three years old, and he has to ask whether or not he got a grandfather. Ain't that some shit? You see what I'm saying? That's some serious shit. Damn three years old, and he's intelligent enough to know because she was showing him pictures. She was showing right. him pictures of her grandfather and her grandmother. So he asked her, well, do I have a grandfather? You right. see, we, we pleaded with my father. to come you know, I mean, Christmas. imagine how many
2: three-year-olds can share that story, you know, oh, across this country. So that's absolutely.
3: real. And he has seen my father once, and it was at my father's birthday party, and we all decided to go out and see him. He didn't never, he's never come to see them. He's seen my oldest son who's 10 years old he's seen him maybe four or five times, max. You see what I'm saying? My, my nine-year-old son, he's seen him three, four times, max. My two daughters, maybe twice. My youngest son, who's three, once. This, this is someone who, is, who he can drive out here. My mother drives out here all, you know, uh, she comes out here maybe twice a month. It's a two-hour drive. But even when we lived in San Diego, he wouldn't come out and see his, his grandchildren. So what I'm saying is that In in our mind, instead of triggering our trauma by trying to continue to make someone be a grandfather who wasn't a father in the first place, It becomes a new point, and we can't waste our time with that. And we just have had to learn, my wife and I, we've had to learn and accept the truth that he is who he is, and there's nothing that I can do to change that, nothing that my wife can do to change that. And that's okay, too, because if he is the quality of a male who is like that, I wouldn't want him around my children in the first place, and that's just the truth. I know that's hardcore, but that's just the truth. We have to set a higher standard for how we deal with these babies and the standards that we set for these babies, too. And for a man... Who is a, a grandfather who has only who has seen his children, seen his grandchildren just a handful of times? And the oldest one is ten. That's unreasonable to me. And it's not like he lives in the other. He lives in California, Southern California, just like we do. It's a two hour. It's an hour and forty five minute drive. No excuses. When we have when our children if they have grand, if we have grandchildren. You all best believe my wife and I we are going to be, we're going to be around so much. Our children are probably going to be like y'all need to cut it out. You just over here all the time. We, we're looking forward to that now. My oldest son is 10, but we're already looking forward to grandbabies. We don't know if we're going to be having any more babies together. Now, if we, we come up on, on, on some squill and some cheese in a bigger house, we're going to have some more of these wonderful babies. But right now, we just can't do it, and that's okay. So if we never have any more babies, we do have – we get to look forward to the, to the grandbabies. That's the other thing, uh, ladies and gentlemen. It's not just about your children. It's about your grandchildren, too. You build into the future. See, that's how we change things for African-Americans. It's not about what we do right now and getting the, the latest tech gadget or getting them the Xbox 360 or the Nike that costs $250. That's not going to change things for black folks. I'm going to tell you all something else. Complaining about what, quote-unquote, why people are doing to us or what the police is doing to us, that's not really going to change anything either. What changes is looking into the future and doing what you need to do now so that your children will be in a better position and have more power to actualize the reality that they want irrespective of the unfairness of the system that they will have the power that they need to manifest the reality that they want in the future and that your grandchildren and that your great great grandbabies can do that too and how do you do that you do that by building healthy family institutions the greatest challenge facing african-american uh, folk these days and a lot of people don't want to talk about it because most people aren't in positive relationships or healthy family institutions. that's why you rarely see people talking about this but the greatest challenge facing african-american folk on planet Earth today, is a lack of positive male female relationships and a lack of healthy family institutions. And until we get that right, ladies and gentlemen, nothing will change. And you know what? That was the first thing that was taken from us. So if that was the first thing taken from us, then that should be the first thing that we reclaim. Boom! Write it down. Write it down. Anyone there? Hello. Peace, hey, hello? Yeah, can you hear me?
2: Yes, I can. My phone just okay. dropped. I just called back and pardon me.
3: Oh, no problem, brother. I know we're up against the clock and you know Tuesdays it's it's our family um uh slumber party night. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> this yes, is
2: something that Give me, give me one second. If you want to continue with us on the call, family live stream has three minutes remaining to it, 347-637-2135, 347-637-2135. I don't think I'm going to be getting to the callers um, because I'm not in front of my computer at this particular time. I am in transit, but the callers are on the call with us, and they are hearing everything that you are important on them this evening. So... I won't be keeping you for too much longer. I definitely want you to get back to your family. Thank you for everything that you have shared with us tonight. Um, and this is not me cutting you off. I'm just saying that you know we'll probably get in about ten or fifteen more minutes, if that's okay with you.
3: Yeah, sure. Yeah, and tonight is is our family. Um, it's our family. Uh, what do we? What do my children call that? Slumber party night. And this is the night that they, they decided on my wife and I, we didn't decide on it, but on Tuesday nights, we um, bring all of the beds into the living room and we, we find a movie that we can all watch as a family. My wife makes a special meal and they usually participate in the making of that meal. And we settle down and relax as a family. So uh, I can give you a couple more minutes, brother, but then I got to get on over here. Oh yeah. Yeah. Minutes.
2: Okay. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I don't want to come in place of that ritual. You know, that's a beautiful thing. You know what I'm saying? And thank you so much. We, uh, we are already thankful so much that you have shared with us this evening. It was really a lesson. Thank you. And I really want you to understand how the segue into the parenting piece is so paramount. It's our conversation this evening, and it all ties in. Yes, because a child that's properly nurtured and nourished with love is not going to be susceptible to any level of programming. And I think the reason why we see so much mind-controlled people in the streets these days and so many people that are willing to run behind people that they idolize things of this nature, you know, is because of that lack of parenting. Mm
3: -hmm. That's the truth. That's the truth. You know, why, why
2: else would, yeah, you know, why else would, a call go out to young ladies to identify with a, a archetype like Barbie and they all show up.
0: You no? Know? We just got to
2: be honest with ourselves. Absolutely. And, um, you know, these are the conversations that weren't had. So, with the hope that with your research and your experience and your demonstration that, you know what I'm saying, what you are important can help somebody if we've done our job. And like you said, the power is internalized, so this is something that families are going to have to sit with and come up with ways of their own conversations and their own minds they can have with themselves and their loved ones and their little ones
3: you no. Know? That's right. It starts in the home, brother. That's for sure. It stops, it starts in the home. The power is always there, and we can all do better. I think that, and I hope that I will reach at least one person who may listen to this. I hope that I'll reach one person to be inspired uh, to do something better. We can all do better. I can do a whole lot better. I have hang ups with myself as a man. You know, that there are things that I know that I have to get in order and I have to do better to do better by my wife, better by my children, and every single day I'm looking for ways to do better, and we can all commit to that. Women can commit to that, too, you know, and it's all in the best interest of the family, and that's what it comes down to. This is the greatest challenge that's facing African American people. Again, lack of healthy uh, family institutions and positive male-female relationships, and until we get that in order, nothing is going to change better, and that should be, a one, uh, that should be at least our primary focus. We can focus on other things, but that should be our, at least our primary focus, and that's my message a wife's message to the world is that no matter what you've been through, because my wife and I, we don't have been through a whole lot of shit, no matter what you've been through, you can still materialize a positive male relationship and a healthy family institution. If we can do it, anyone can do it, and we're in service to anyone who is committed to doing that most important work. And I want to thank both of you brothers, if you're both on the line, for having me. I do appreciate it. Um, I appreciate the work that you're doing and the, and the caliber of people that you have on your show. You know, you got massive teachers on here, and I'm I'm just honored to even be able to, to get up on the microphone and share a few words uh, with you and with your audience. And I'm to continue to encourage you, uh, both of y'all, to continue to do this most important work. And if I can help in any way, brother, you just let me know. I will be there.
2: Absolutely. We have always, like I said, we, you know, we honor you and we honor your work we honor your family charity by doing such. And anything well, that we can you. do to help you get your information and your message out to a larger audience or even directly here, you know, even if it's mm-hmm. to a smaller audience, even if it's to one person, let us know what needs to be done we're there.
3: Yes, sir. I appreciate that. See, I, I feel empowered now. I got me mean, two more, two strong brothers, are, you know, backing me up. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Please. See,
2: that's how the circle gets stronger. All right. I look forward to your uh, continued research, 'cause I always know that uh, your mind is working, and I know that you know. I'm just gonna give it two or three months, and I'm gonna check the YouTube. But it's gonna be a 99 part series for something. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. You well, know, I, I, something, I could, and... something I could digest, something I could use, and
0: mm-hmm. you know
2: that level, that level of output is inspiring to us all. That have these um multi-contextual ideas and concepts that we want to share with the world. We don't know where to start. Some of us, you know what I'm saying? Mhm, mhm. But so un- understand that you are inspiring those that are, uh, you know, want to formulate thought. And, and, and package it, put it in the way in which, you know, the whole world can see our 99-part series.
0: Mm. made that
2: possible.
3: So we thank you, brother. Uh, my pleasure, brother. Thank you. Thanks again for having me, and i send you both of y'all much love on my behalf, but then also on behalf of the Honor family. And, and I look forward to speaking with both of y'all, very, very soon. Thanks again for having me, fellas. Y'all take care.
0: Indeed, brother. Hey.
2: Yes, indeed. And to the KTL family, I do apologize. Uh, kind of double committed myself to the um, lecture series. And once that series was over, I didn't have access to my computer, and I'm in transit. And then you shut down, and I had to make my move to my rest. And uh, where Red Pill is at, he doesn't have access to the, um, the computer, so I'm not able to get into the chat and get into the question and answer. But we are going to double up for you this weekend, or this week, should I say. We're doing three shows, so we're going to be broadcasting on 9-11 with our brother, Ra Cool in the Cosmo Prats. Cosmo Physicians will be back in the building on 9-11. We'll take a cosmological look at 9 and um I'm gonna roll the law forty four out as well, touch on some of the uh connections that I've been able to uncover dealing with nine eleven. So we're gonna have a uh, very information packed educational fun time. All right, so that will be at nine PM or nine eleven. All right, and of course we have a powerful program the store this Friday. So we do ask you Tune in, tell a friend to tell a friend. We will be back in the building, building, all right? The show is being sponsored by kingscounty.bigcartel.com. Of course, mypowerpieces.com, ocean14corp.com, and give me one second. I believe the brother Reptil has something to share about uh this event that he has coming up this weekend in, in um Houston. Like, right, give me one second,
0: Hello? Hello. Sir.
2: Yeah. On the show. Yeah? <laughs> yes, yeah, sir. Peace family. Thank you for joining us tonight. Uh thank you, Brother Lynn and Honor, for your wonderful, wonderful presentation. Uh I'm definitely sure that all of us are able to walk away with a wealth of information, you know, and um a a very good reference point, you know what I'm saying? Somebody who's actually a living, breathing example of a family man, you know what I mean? And um, I'm definitely going to take a lot of the pointers, you know, into my personal life. But um, family, Houston, Texas family, uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, all of the family in the area, we are in Texas. We are going to be doing something Saturday afternoon at the Kepra Bookstore. Mm -hmm. It's going to be me and my uh, comrade, brother, Talik Wabe. He is the uh, superfood specialist. uh, He is also a very um, well-researched presenter. He's going to be dealing with the um, history of the Houston sound, um, hip-hop bass movement and other things that he'll be talking about, as well as the... um, history of the mound builders and other things that um, the family needs to come out and listen to. I'm going to be presenting uh, a KTL empowerment presentation. It will be a precursor to the uh, revolution will be digitized. So please come out. We're going to be networking. It's going to be a $10 charge at the door, $10 gifting or donation at the door. We will have Kings County clothing in the building. We will also have um, some information, some DVDs and some eBooks as well. Amongst other things, we encourage vendors, all of our brothers and sisters who are out there um, that are vendors, uh, hit us up, 347-650-0150 or at Gmail. That is Empowerment at Gmail. Uh, hit us up. We're also doing, um, we're giving away two free tickets. You know what I'm saying? For two uh, very lucky uh, patrons to come through, so um, hit us up at KTL Apartment at Gmail for further details. We'll give you all of the information pertaining to the event. We will also be sharing it on our social media. You may live in DC, the DMV area. You may live in New York. You may live in Cali. You may live in Arizona. You may live in Timbuktu. You may live in the Sudan. You may live in Syria. You know, you may be, I mean, the, you may live this is a global show, but we just want to encourage you, you know, even if you're not in Texas, share the flyer, okay, it'll be on NotaLedge Facebook page. Share the flyer because you, your network might be from Houston, uh, Texas area, and they may benefit from the information, and, uh, you know, they'll thank you later. So, uh, yeah, that's Saturday and it's uh going to be explosive, all right? And then we'll also be there on Sunday at 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. The brother has a meditation that he calls it Sunday school, you know what I'm saying? So we'll be there vending on Sunday as well. So please, family, uh, you know, I've been getting a lot of requests from the family in the South, especially in the Texas area, as to when we were going to be out here. So we're here, and uh, we'll be doing something on Saturday. We look forward to meeting and greeting everyone who comes through. Thank you. Hold out. Hold out. All right. So, family's in for a treat, Cajun, vegan cooking. Oh, man. I'm telling you, family, if you ever wanted to meet a brother who could turn all healthy foods or superfoods and make it tastes better than, you know, the foods that you made, you know, because some people, you know, they're still in love with that barbecue. They're still in love with the ribs. They're still in love with that meat and other things. Well, this brother has perfected, you know, the art of cooking. And uh, he's well-renowned for his skills, and I'm sure he'll be sharing some recipes amongst other things with the family as well. So, uh, you know, we'll be promoting on Thursdays and Friday show as well. But uh, it's Tuesday. Let's get the word out. I definitely want to spread the word. It's last minute. But, you know, our people, you know, we, 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 we know how to jump and, and move at the right time. So, you know, never time. Never last minute with us. Yes, indeed. And with that, family, peace, love, and light. All right, family, we'll see you on the next episode. Hold on. And right hold on. What else? And please share this episode from tonight, especially on 9 11. Spam your wall, spam your friend's wall, spam your family's wall. Prepare them because this episode, the information that the brother brought is pertinent. It is very pertinent. You may not think so, but we're talking about fear based programming. These things have long lasting effects that can affect the unborn baby in your womb, it could, uh, it could affect the unborn baby and your sperm. You know what I mean? Like it has long-lasting effects. And his brother is bringing information that can unplug you from the matrix and help you, okay? So this information, this show right here, and that's not even – that. that's just one half when he gets into the family and everything that he's talked about. Like let's really, really, really honor our brother later honor.
0: And that's it. Peace. Peace.